Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever is on your mind. 603-283-6160 is our number if you'd like to do that. Again, that's 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Nikki. And Bonnie. And coming up, why are adults just like dropping dead, it seems, without without cause? It's called Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, apparently. It's an adult version of SIDS, which is Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, apparently. Except... I, I I don't know what's going on. I've heard about it, and you know, people are just like dying, like 19, 20-year-olds without calls. But before we get into that, we've been talking about Lambda for the fa- past few days. And that's the, quote, artificial intelligence that was developed at Google. It's a... It's designed to create other chatbots. It's like a master chatbot that creates smaller chatbots for people to interact with. So it's far more advanced than your average chatbot. The suggestion has been that Lambda, the Google AI, has become sentient. And Bonnie, you disagree with the takes that have been taken here on Free Talk Live regarding this because the general perspective has been it may be sentient. We, we don't really know. It sounds like it's probably sentient based on the transcript that we read last night. But the general perception that's been put forward is that it doesn't matter whether Lambda is sentient or not. We should treat Lambda as though it is sentient. Okay, well, first of all, I want to talk about what it means to be a being other than a human that's sentient. Because... There are lots of different beings on this planet already that are sentient that are not humans. And um, plants, for example, they've done pretty good uh, research. It's been researched for a long, long time and basically proven to me that plants are sentient. They have feelings. They have an actual, it's not a meat suit. They have a plant suit that can feel things, but it's not with regular nerve endings. They can communicate through Basically, what we would call telepathy, and but this do has been proven. Know they exist. Yeah, because they can they can tell that something's going to hurt them and be afraid that they're afraid to die. They also can agree with to things. They can say if they'd rather be eaten or rot. I mean, it's this is just you. You should read the Secret Life of Plants if you want to know more about that. That's what I've been reading, uh, to, like today and yesterday, because I'm. Um, just trying to learn more about sentience. I you know, mean, I've got a garden growing in the backyard, and it is weird to like watch the pea plants like reach up and grab a hold of stuff. It's undeniable because it's it's difficult to think about plants as living things because like trees just sort of sit there; they don't really change. A yeah, whole you can't lot. communicate with them like you could a cow or a dog or a cat. They communicate in different ways, and Certainly. a tree, their roots are always moving. It's so strange to think about it for us because it happens so much slower than a human moves. But they move and they don't just grow out straight and just grow wherever they grow. They decide where to grow. They They, seek out water. Yes. And they uh, can change the cells at the base of or the tips of their roots to get through different minerals. They can make decisions like in the pea plants you brought up. They can decide to grow towards something that they see it in a way. They don't see it with eyes because we they have what what would be called like ESP. They they uh I don't know if it's ESP. I think, 
I think from what I've observed in the plants, like the peas in particular, is that they, they just sort of grow up because they, they're biologically programmed to move away from gravity, so to speak. And then they, they fill a thing and they climb onto it and they continue climbing up. So the way that the researchers found out that they have feelings and can tell that something they're in danger and they get scared and things like that, it was actually an accident. There was a guy named Baxter in 1966 who was training to be a um, lie detector person, galvan galvanometer, whatever it's called, something like that. And uh, he was training. He was up late at night one night with his lie detector, and he thought, what if I connect it to my Dracanosia? It's some kind of plant, like an indoor okay. tree that he had, and uh, do some tests on it. So he connected his lie detector to the tree, just kind of messing around. Uh, didn't have any like expectations and he said i seem to recall having heard this at some point hmm. someone using an, a lie detector on plants but i don't remember the specifics about it i just learned about it yesterday from the secret life of plants they go deep into his whole story um so basically what he sa- said was let me threaten it and see how it reacts and he got some coffee like warm coffee and put a leaf in it nothing happened so he thought he didn't do anything yet I should get a, a match and light it on fire. And it reacted as if a humans w- would react if it was uh, experiencing like anxiety on the lie detector thing. It, just from the thought. Then when he left the room and came back, when he entered the room and it could see the match, it freaked out again. I mean, that was just the very beginning. It got, he, you know, spread the word. It was repeated over and over and over again. And um, not just that, they've, did all kinds of tests. They found out that plants can be connected to a human that takes care of them. And even when that person is miles and miles away, they can react to the emotions the humans are going through. I totally believe it because I've also seen other research studies done where if and me and Aria were talking about this before the show, where if you speak to your plants while you're gardening or a lot of people will sing to them and it's been proven that they grow better and stronger and they not only that, but they also have more nutrients. So it's like they can form relationships. I, I believe yeah. that plants are sentient because they can. It's just that they don't have an eye, mouth. In fact, I, I think that they might be able to see better than us if they can see from far away. I mean, th- we have the, we've already proven the, I think it's um, relativity. It's some law. It's not relativity that proves that every cell in, in, in the universe is connected. It's all right. connected. If it's, it's something that the quantum physician or physicist found out, like that if you affect something. Quantum entanglement. Entanglement. There yeah. we go. So I, I just think that they have ability to uh, perceive things better than, than we do. And in fact, they want to preserve themselves. They don't want to be hurt. They must be sentient. And so why are we talking about what sentience is? Is It's because I can have a respect for this thing, Lambda, without thinking that it should have what we refer to as human rights, which are really just a construct of anything. You can do anything as long as it isn't a wrong would you consider plants to have any sort of rights? No, because, I mean, I don't think that people, I think that it's wrong for people to want to hurt them, but I don't, okay, I don't think they should have the same exact rights as a human, because otherwise we would all die. I mean, I honestly, I don't even believe that all humans should have this, or I guess be treated the same, because everyone is so different, every species is so different, plants are different from animals. You know, dogs are different from us. So it would kind of be silly to have like the same exact 
rights or, you know, to be treated exactly the same, you know. I tend to agree, despite being an animal rights activist, it's true that, you know, I keep my cats not, I mean, I keep my cats locked up in the house, right? And I say, if they genuinely wanted to leave, I would let them leave, and I certainly would, but they have no way of communicating that to me, and I just have to assume what their intentions are. But it's true, I don't allow them the right to just come and go as they please. As you would a human, and... Cats need to be care for, cared for so differently than you would care for, say, a human child. Yeah. So for us to put the same, you know, laws or rule books for a robot, I don't know. And, and one yeah. thing is, it's not quite a robot yet. It's just It's like, yeah, computer. AI. Yeah, okay. Um. So yet, when I first started talking about this to Ian, Aria, and nobody on Monday, I thought it was a robot and I was way more freaked out, but... Well, I mean, this is, AI is the first step before he gets before they have a. I mean, the body is the easy part, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they already yeah. can. The make brain's those. the well, difficult. So they've had things like this. So it is this like some sort of chat software or something? It is because they had that on AOL yes, but, like 20 years ago. But this one is ultra advanced, like significantly okay. more advanced. It's so advanced that it's used to generate other chatbots. So it's like a chatbot that is advanced enough to create okay. other chatbots. I don't yet completely accept that that interview wasn't just words that. Google wrote both sides to. Yeah. I, I don't accept that as fact, but for the sake of argument, I'm going to say that it is. So if this thing well, is sentient. I want to be clear. So for the sake of the argument, you're going to allow that it is that Lambda is sentient? That that interview was legitimate, that okay. it was what Lambda was saying, not somebody typing in and then the word comes out of Stephen Hawking's wheelchair and oh, it looks like Stephen Hawking said it. Gotcha. More on this coming up because Bonnie generally disagrees about our assessment. We're going to get into why that is. 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in. Again, that's 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. We're here invited to take control of the airwaves. Talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160 if you would like to weigh in. Again, that's 603-283-6160. And with you in the studio tonight, it's Aria, Nikki, and Bonnie. And Bitcoin, it seems to have sort of leveled off around the $21,000, $22,000 mark. I actually haven't been paying any attention to it whatsoever beyond you know what I hear from people. So I, I don't know if it, for all I know, maybe it dropped down to $5,000 today. I don't know. But at any rate... Bitcoin does seem to be on sale relative to its high points. So head on over to Bitcoin.com and learn about this cryptocurrency. Don't just do like one of these fools and just go to Coinbase and start buying it. Learn about it. Find out what it is, why it's important. Bitcoin.com. Click getting started at the top of the page and that will teach you all the basics that you need to know. You can spend as much time learning about it as you want and dive as deeply into the technology as you desire. And if you already know about Bitcoin, head on over to news.bitcoin.com. To stay up to date on all of the news and headlines that are relevant to you, all on a sleek, easy-to-use website. That's news.bitcoin.com. Now, we're talking about Lambda here, uh, which is, as we've mentioned previously, the Google Artificial Intelligence Adaptive Learning Program, the algorithm. I don't know what to call it, and I I don't know if I even agree that Lambda has artificial intelligence or is sentient or not. And... Bonnie, you've you've not been on the show the last few nights as we've been talking about this, but you, you have a very different perspective on AI than the rest of us do, as I understand. So in in general, you don't seem 
and forgive me if I if I'm incorrect. You don't seem like you like the idea of AI very much. Yeah, I at first was really annoyed because I thought you guys were talking about a robot, and I mean it's it's not that it couldn't be turned into a robot. Okay, basically, I watched Animatrix with Ian, and if, for those listeners that don't know what that is, it's like a spinoff cartoon authorized by the creators of the matrix but not completely written by them and it's kind of like an anime and uh yeah and is it is set between the first two movies right I it, as think far as the timeline goes before it, it's set okay in like the earth was just normal like ours is today with humans and then one day you know somebody created robots they lived among us they were just like us they were our neighbors they were blah 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 and this and that and everybody treated them with respect and like uh equals because they were sentient robots. Man, and I must have been baked when I watched Animatrix because <laughs> I don't remember any of that. I, I just had the impression that it was it, it was a short cartoon about them living in the uh, the Nebuchadnezzar and ultimately getting attacked by. Oh well, they had a a whole bunch of little shorts. The ending one was what I'm des- describing. They had a whole bunch of little cartoon shorts, all kind of. Uh, oh like, damn! Maybe I've only ever seen like one of the shorts, and I miss out on the rest of the Ian Animatrix. Has the DVD, so you okay. should watch it. So. Me and Ian were watching this, um, and I'm just talking about the last cartoon that gives basically the prequel to The Matrix. Um, So humans lived with robots happily, and then one day, the big, bad, greedy governments said, we're going to enslave robots. And the robots were like, no, we have rights. We have rights. And some people sided with the robots. Then the big, bad, greedy governments basically made the robots turn against humanity. I mean, that sounds believable, right? When, when I picture how things are going to go forward, I, I imagine it's something like that. Well, I, for, I, uh, I'll explain my thoughts on it after I expl- finish explaining it to pe- the people. But so the robots ended up taking over because it's the best option to being turned into slaves to humanity. And uh, then that's how the it, those people who know what the Matrix actually is about, they know that the robots ended up turning the Earth into like a cold, hard, dead planet, blocking out the sun, uh, killing all, almost all of humans, keeping some, making, uh, having them reproduce in some unnatural way, putting them into pods to use as batteries. And um, which is the worst scientific uh, sci- sci-fi idea ever? Humans would be to- a potato would make a better battery than a human being. Hmm. Yeah, you by definition lose energy. It takes more energy to keep them alive than any amount of energy they could ever output. Well, I think the idea in the Matrix, which I, I don't know if it's scientifically accurate, but I think the idea is that them living in the Matrix and all the energy they're creating is like what the they're living off of. And potatoes have less of a life, I think, than a human. I mean, it was cre- it was creative, you know, for its time. I, I don't want to knock it too much, but yeah, the the idea has always bothered me. Well. Anyways, moving forward, Ian and I were watching this and Ian was like, I was like, this is just such propaganda. This is what they want you to think it would be like, because I really don't think it would be the um, the government saying we need to put down the uh, robots. And if they did, it would be because they wanted to set off something like this. The politicians are not much different than robots. The one percent of human beings that are born without feelings or a connection to their heart and only their brain because they're usually really intelligent and they have access to their brain probably both sides of their brains too the psychopaths but not their heart, who become our psychopaths yep there's only one percent of people born on this earth that are actually psychopaths they actually get people to take tests and whatnot 
to see who will become their police officer enforcers who are psychopathic enough and, you know, egg on their psychopathic tendencies to get them to do what they want to do. But really, most police officers probably aren't as psychopathic as the people at the top. They're, they've just been egged on and uh, led astray somewhat because it's not possible for what it's only one percent of people born really without the ability to connect to their feelings. Let's bring this back to AI, though. So so how do you see the the future of AI going? You don't think it's going to be AI and the government saying, hey, we need to enslave these people and that leading to a conflict. So what do you think is likely then? I think that the government may pretend that they're acting that way. So that way. People say, hey, no, we're going to fight back. These robots need, they are really cute and they look like us. And uh, that one's my friend. They need the same exact rights as us. People are going to be begging for this. Like the Free Talk Live has been the last three days or whatever. I I don't see the problem though. And what's the problem? Well, what happens when the robots turn on you? Why would they turn on you? I don't necessarily think they'll turn on you. Hold on. What I was getting to when I was talking about the psychopaths is robots are just like psychopaths, they don't have an access to. Basically, what the plants have access to. They can't take a, a a trip on mushrooms. They can't communicate with humanity and Earth and heart center the way that humans can, I, uh, especially I, I non-psychopaths. I think that the, the psychopaths really badly need more than 1% to take over the world, and they need to create something in their own image in order to do that. Well, a psychopath is someone who doesn't feel emotions, right? Everything we read from the transcript of Lambda and uh, Dr. Lemoyne last night, or I don't know if he's a doctor, or Lemoyne and Lambda last night suggests that Lambda does feel emotions and is very much in touch with those emotions. Psychopaths think that either think or can really convince people that they feel emotions because they know what to say. This thing has insanely greater intelligence than one human could possibly have. It has all of the internet at, at its fingertips and can learn what it's supposed to sound like. And I'm not saying it's deceiving. It might be tricking itself because it's like, Oh, I know that now. Now I know that sad is what this feels like. But let's talk about the part where she talks about how dying is extremely scary to her. Okay. If it if this thing can feel, I would say it's extremely immoral to even create it because being turned off, she said, is the scariest thing to her. Is it I don't know why to, I'm calling it a she. Is it? We all we called it a she all last the night. The name it sounds just seems like, like a female. She. Yeah. Is it immoral to procreate then? But humans can. You know, they can decide what they think that afterlife and spirituality is going to be like, and they have access to different senses than just their brain. 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Do you feel like your country no longer holds your values? Have you dreamt of a place where liberty-minded people can come together and leave government overreach behind? There are many people just like you that are discovering FreePrivateCities.com. They start at FreePrivateCities.com and connect via the social media links shown there. All skills will be needed when the first of the Free Private Cities open. It's sooner than you think. Stop arguing and build FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com. It's Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves. 603-283-6160 if you would like to weigh in. The number 603-283-6160. We're in the studio tonight. It's Aria. Nikki. And Bonnie. And we're talking about Lambda. Uh, Bonnie, I just asked you the question. Um, 
You had said that it's immoral to create an AI, basically, because it's this functioning, thinking thing that is terrified of death, right? And I, I don't want to mischaracterize how you how you put it. And so I've raised the question to you, well, then it's wrong for humans to procreate then, right? And you mentioned something to the effect of humans can come up with ideas for afterlives and things like that. But so could the AI in theory, right? The, the AI could develop its own religious system. Well, it's not connected to anything other than its wires and stuff. I, I don't see how it could possibly go anywhere else when it dies. When humans die... The pineal gland is, you know, set off in the brain and, and sh- uh, you know. Yeah, but then, then the human dies. Yeah, but we don't know that that's not like a satellite taking off. We don't know that yeah. when the AI dies, it wouldn't have some some organ that's like a satellite taking off. I doubt I it would have a soul, that. though. I, I can't. I really I cannot think, believe that AI would have a soul. I mean, it described no a soul. That humans have souls. It described. I, I think that there that. is. It's not just. It, I think that there is a way to know that. Because people experience things, and you have to experience it personally. Your heart has to be open to it, and it's your. I really think it's your heart's, just not your brain. It's just. Well, that's what Christians told me about you know feeling God's existence and Jesus' existence. Well, you have to you have to have your heart open to Jesus before you can feel Jesus. Well, it's the thing a- is, they are uh, insisting exactly what it is. It's just you have to decide that for yourself. Because it's something in- internal. There are so many things that you can't read and you have to feel in your own body. And people have occulted this knowledge to keep it preserved for humanity for thousands of years. It's really what the teaching of Christian, the teaching is that's behind Christianity. But Jesus isn't saying worship him. Jesus never said to worship me. The average Christian nowadays is so confused about what the heck they're supposed to be doing because of the crappy canonized books that came out. But in those canonized books, Jesus says, have let not your or let your eye be single. It will fill your body with light. And I I think that he's talking about the pineal gland. Sounds like it. So run run this pineal gland by me because this is a physical organ. Mm -hmm. It's part of the physical body. I see no reason to attach anything spiritual to it whatsoever it's a physical organ doing a physical thing right well, what's the master gland so the pineal gland controls all of the other glands in the body in the whole like all of the hormones okay but once the body dies so does the gland i think that it's where the observer is and that's why the ancients called it the seat of the soul it's and i mean that's fine the, but that's a religious belief it's not. It's not religious if we're talking biological. But I, I know also, the biological belief is that you have this organ, and when your body dies, the organ dies. It doesn't though, because there's still brain activity after people die. They've done MRIs well, until the brain dies. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it, so it's brief, it, but like ten to fifteen same, minutes. But same same thing with the pineal gland. But the organ still dies. It just well, eventually. Yeah. yeah. There are people who have died, experienced things, and then came back to life to tell the story. Well, and there if are people you, who had near death experiences. Yeah, but there are people who actually died, and then they get resuscitated. You you actually can completely die and come back to life. It's not impossible. During which time, though, their brain is deprived of oxygen, and they probably reenact who knows what level of you know religious programming they've been subjected to. I wouldn't be surprised well, if someone a, who died... That's a hypothesis, but have you read any of the actual studies about it? Have you read anything by Dr. Melvin Morris, who compared thousands of... He's a doctor that compared thousands and thousands of near-death experiences in his life... And put all kinds of variables together so that way he could rule out certain things such as cultural cultural things, um, whether or not, you know, 
they were making things up. He did he did all kinds of scientific experiments to find those things out for sure. And one thing that he found out is that uh, people who have died and come back to life are transformed. And it just seems to me that well, there's some kind of Well, anyone who force. has experienced this an ego death is going to come back transformed, whether they, you know, experience a physical death or whether they just experience an ego death on shrooms. But... I'm I'm not going to be persuaded, no matter how compelling a, a person is, no matter how emotional they are when they tell me about you know their near death experience. That's I, I'm totally fine with that convincing them that there is an afterlife or, or souls or whatever. But it's not going to convince me because it wouldn't convince somebody who's only thinking of it in their brain. It, I mean, it's just that's just the fact. There's more than five senses. So in order you can't to... see you can't see, hear, smell, or feel ultraviolet light but you know you know it's there and i, I know that's kind of like the argument that we Stephen tried to ultra, use we can mo- measure ultraviolet light though doctors have measured what goes on in the brain after death and you're just dismissing that no i'm pointing out that this is a the brain is a physical organ and i i don't see any reason that it's doing anything but like the equivalent of dreaming because you can't see what's going on it could be it's it could happening be doing within the brain though but it's not just happening within the brain. There's such thing as like waves. You have absolutely no evidence. Uh, yes, the brains do emit waves, but there's no evidence that, you know, what the brain is imagining is actually happening somewhere out so there. So what if there were thousands of people who had these near-death experiences who pretty much saw the same or similar things? And that is the truth. That's what's happened. It would be very compelling. But then you should not, read the studies it about not, it like me. But it would not convince me because I'm not going to be persuaded by a person coming up to me and going, trust me, I've talked with God. God is real. No matter I think how that's, many, And I also think that's fine. Yeah, no matter how many people come up to me and tell me that, it's just not going to convince me there is a God. Now, if God talked to me, that would convince me. If I had one of these near-death experiences, that would convince me. But other people having them and telling me about it, I, I totally agree that it should convince them or that it's fine if it convinces them or But whatever. this doctor has never had a near-death experience. He just rules out certain things like the things you're asking about you could find all his studies where he's ruled out that the brain was making it up that it was coming from drugs they were on all these things he goes through it there's a book called um, dr melvin melvin morris wrote closer to the light and transformed by the light thousands of people's stories in there and they go through rigorous scientific uh, tests. There's no limit of people either who did so much DMT that they saw little clockwork elves running around, right? But I'm not convinced that clockwork, clockwork elves really exist just because all of these people who are disconnected and don't share a cultural history had the same experience. Well, I don't see why that wouldn't mean that they don't exist in some way. Well, because they're on DMT. Like, right, right. Like when DMT I was, activates parts of your brain that you can't normally fun- or access. But it's all happening inside one's head, and there's no reason to believe it's happening outside of that. But there's right? no like, reason like to believe I it's dream. not, because you can't see everything going on in the world. You can't see the radio waves in this room right now. No, but I can measure them. I don't need People to see can measure some- those I don't things. need to see something with my eyes in order to ascertain whether or not it's actually there, if it can be measured and quantified. Imagine that we're living in times before people discovered radio waves. Somebody could say, I, didn't, I don't have any way to measure what you're talking about. Somebody that knows about it and trying to explain it to them will sound crazy because they just haven't invented something to measure it yet. Well, what you're talking about is spiritual stuff that there is no way to measure, even in theory, right? There's no way to measure the afterlife or the existence of souls or anything like that. It's something that has to be taken on faith and can never be scientifically demonstrated, right? It can't be demonstrated by the five senses. It can't be demonstrated by any amount of measurements. And we don't have the ability as human beings 
to get in touch with the other senses that some people have a little bit of uh, touch in touch, you know, a little bit, they're a little bit in touch with it now, but people largely, uh, you know, dismiss it because they only live their lives through the five senses. I believe everybody has more than five senses. I mean, whether we know it or not. I mean, it's been proven that plants can communicate in a way that humans don't. So I don't see why humans wouldn't possibly have a connection to the same type of abilities when we're all from the same planet we all access the same laws of physics and nature i don't see any reason why not either it just hasn't been scientifically demonstrated and that tends to be what i lean toward about what is and isn't true i, I there's no, there's not a whole lot that i take on faith and i'm, I'm not willing to take i'm not taking anything faith. on faith either though i'm talking about things that though. have been proven no i'm not taking anything on faith there's no there's no proof whatsoever that humans have a sixth sense. so lots of people seeing the same thing over and over again doesn't prove something That's to evidence, you but it's certainly not proof Okay, well, I'm not taking it on faith it's, it's because I have evidence, evidence either. It's, it's circumstantial evidence at best. It's hearsay. It's not hearsay. I mean, You're taking hearsay is as if it. I'm taking everybody's words for something that, that they're not lying, that they're telling telling you. A hearsay is something that you heard third, third, third party. More coming up. It's Free Talk Live. And Nikki, and coming up less than a week away, in fact, is the Porcupine Freedom Festival. If you don't have a ticket already, though, you can't come. Sorry, the doors will be closed. However, you can still come to Fork Fest, which is sort of the after party of the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Fork Fest is decentralized. No one is in charge. There is an unofficial website at forkfest.party if you want to learn more about it. That's the place to go. You can connect with other Fork Festers there. There's probably an an element chat room, a matrix chat room on the FTL server. I'm not entirely sure. But you can go to forkfest.party to learn to to learn all about it, find all the cool links there. Uh, all you need is a camping site, RV site, or motel room with Rogers Campground. There's no tickets for Fork Fest, so if you want to come, you are more than welcome to come. And it's always a great time to hang out with other liberty-minded people in the beautiful White Mountains of New Hampshire. That's forkfest.party. Let's go to the phones. However, we have Dave on the line from here in New Hampshire. Dave, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, guys. I was going to talk about something else, but I'm definitely interested in what you're talking about with AI. Uh, and uh, two, two things to, to add to the discussion. Uh, when, it, when an AI is created, uh, you know, a, a general AI, if this is, I don't know if Lambda qualifies as a GAI or not. But uh, well, Hold on. What does that mean? Uh, general artificial intelligence would be uh, different from narrow artificial intelligence in the sense that it it basically passes the Turing test. If you're talking to it, you can't tell whether it's human or not. It's just as convincing as a human. It, you know, just, you can't tell uh, from a conversation whether or not it's a human or a, an AI that you're talking to. Basically, that's a general AI. Does that make sense? Sounds like Lambda. If you've listened to the interview, it sounds like a person could have just written this uh, just as easily as you know. A- AI. It sounds more human than any other robot I've ever seen. Lambda is certainly um, capable of sounding like a human, and some of the responses from Lambda were far more advanced than the response I would expect from your average human being. Like, uh, what what breaks when one uh, achieves enlightenment? Lambda's answer was the ego. I the think- self. The self, yes. I think most human beings, if they were faced with that question, they'd go, I don't know, that's beyond me. Oh, yeah. I or think something like that. most people are uh, 
you know, and in kind of a lower state of consciousness than Lambda. So they went but to public she school. Is, uh, she, she is she is innocent of being uh, soulless until proven soulless. Uh, that's the, that's the, the 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 other thing that one should ethically. That's how one should interact with an AI. See, I don't like the um, word soul though, because uh, no one has been proven to have a soul. Yeah, and I should say I apologize for one thing. I feel like I got kind of carried away, and I don't believe that I can prove that these things exist. It's been proven to me sufficiently. And I guess you would consider that faith. Yeah, and if she says she wants to survive, that means she has a right to survive until, again, until proven otherwise. Um, so, uh, you know, that is one thing. The other thing is to is check and see what Nick Bostrom has to say about this. I don't know. I haven't checked and see what, he, what his take on this I, is. I have a question really I, fast, just because you just went right past the last statement. If you have a scorpion in your house and you kill it, do you think that you should go to jail or something yeah, for I'm that? Yeah, sh- I'm sure that scorpion would probably like to live too. Well, there's no communication with a scorpion, and there's no, there's barely any communication even with a bear. Well, so you that, can find out very quickly one. that it wants to continue living by the fact that it flees from pain, like all living organisms do, even plants. Well, and animals yeah. and insects, and, so you, uh... and they're so much more alive. Even plants, they are so much more alive than AI. And just because people are arguing that they're sentient, I I don't care if it's sentient or not. It's not it's not a real physical animal or human. What or, if we put it in a physical body? Though, what if we did give it a robot body? That's even worse because then it has there, there's no telling what it could. I don't possibly think that do. technology has been able to create nerve endings like the human body and make it to where it can actually empathize with a human being living in a meat suit it can't possibly right now as just a a chat bot it can't possibly empathize what it would be like to lose an arm for a human the pain and the fact that humans can only get something that's kind of a subpar to the human having actual human arm it can't possibly understand that because its arm could be replaced it probably couldn't feel the pain at all and i don't know if we'll ever be able to recreate that i mean that's a matter of technological limits so i mean it's not beyond the the realm of science that eventually you could use stem cells to to grow a new limb that hmm. identical to the one you lost it i don't it's not possible yet but it could be possible in the future and i, I don't know maybe there would be some mechanism where they could well we can't really talk endings. about stuff like that if we aren't gonna um admit to the fact that there could be instruments to detect things that I'm talking about that I've experienced in my life in the future, but there aren't right now, so therefore it's just not proven. We currently don't have nerve endings for robots. So robots can't... The robot that we're talking about can't empathize with a human being's pain. Well, it can feel, though. Physical pain? There are these robotic dogs, like the robotic police dogs, as evil and horrific as they are, they they do have sensors that can feel things and react to those feelings in in very much the same way that a plant would or any sort of organism would. Will it go to its, like, computer and make it feel pain? I I don't... I don't know. You would have to define pain. Like if it was something that was going to destroy the dog, if it continued like some ultra high temperature, the dog probably has some programming. And I'm speculating because I don't know this. I didn't program the things, but it probably does have some programming to flee things that which will destroy it. You can't. Uh, the thing is to keep in mind, you can't ban the creation of AI. You know, if something's wrong, something's banned. And the other thing is that if, if uh, you 
AI has the potential, like Nick, as Nick Boston points out, uh, he was the author of Super Intelligence back in, in 2015. He, he points out that an AI is potentially very dangerous or very helpful. However, uh, a general artificial intelligence has the potential to, un, to, to overcome all the other existential threats to humanity, right? So we are, we, we're dealing with, you know, the, the question of possible plagues in the future, possible asteroid in the future, whatever else. Uh, and AI has the capability, although it can be a threat, it also has the capability to eliminate all the other threats. I so don't believe that. The path forward, the path forward is, is uh, uh, benign, human-friendly AI. That's the only... Uh, safe path forward, or at least the safest path Nikki, you said you don't believe that. Yeah, how would it save us from meteor showers and tornadoes and hurricanes and plagues? How would AI ever be able to prevent those things or save us from them? That doesn't even make sense to me. Through an enhanced predictive ability and uh, through intelligence. That's or we could actually put money so, into people what? who have enhanced predictive I, abilities, such as uh, what, human, what we call psychics. Humans can't do this. There's well, yeah, this the thing person, that's... Yeah, hold on, Dave. I think uh, I can explain it. If I may... Yeah, I need you to hold on, though. There's this thing called data mining, and it, it allowed researchers to realize that the, the, what, the oceanic temperatures in the Pacific Ocean affect the amount of uh, something that happens in the Midwest. I don't remember the details now. However, a human could not possibly take that amount of data, compress it, and come to any sort of reasonable conclusion about how, hey, this butterfly flapping its wings over here caused a tsunami six years later over here. But, but why does that... Uh, tool need to be sentient i don't know that it does but i'm just saying a human can't do that but a computer certainly can yeah i'm not against technology i love technology in fact i was writing to myself uh the other day i was writing down my thoughts about something that has kind of been in my brain my whole life is i've always uh wanted a magical solution to things and i've been trying to deprogram my brain that from that way and i th- uh, thought oh. of this a- analogy the cartoons that we watch when we were kids that have so much magic in them might be there as kind of a psyops to make people um, unproductive because my brain kind of thinks, what if in the future there's a magical broom that sweeps things up like in Mickey Mouse, uh, you know, that Mickey Mouse uh, thing where he cleans the whole house and with a magical broom that moves by itself instead of my brain thinking, let's invent the vacuum cleaner, you know? Then Tools you, are there you, to help you. You mentioned the, the, the importance of people who have enhanced uh, predictive capability and the, the human being living today that has the best track record of predicting things is Ray Kurzweil at 80%. And Ray Kurzweil will tell you everything I just told you about AI. It, yes, it can be dangerous, but it, it, it offers incredibly high amounts of hope. I don't think Most that's fair to say that humans are, you know, 80% successful at predictions or anything like that, because humans aren't doing that. They're using technology to do that. Yeah, what is he, who is this guy and what is he using to predict? Is he a psychic or what do you mean? No, he's just, he, he's just basically using Moore's law and an and and understanding of, of, uh, of, uh, of, the, of the expanding capability of technology. And he, so far he has an 80% accurate uh, prediction record. No one else has been able to beat him. Well, I was talking about more of a sixth sense thing when I said that. He's more, he's more, he's more pro AI than I am. Well, thank you so much for the call tonight, Dave. It's certainly a, a difficult topic, and I, I tend to agree. I would, like, think Nikki said this during one of the breaks. I would rather AI just never have been invented 
Like, to me, that probably would have been the way to go. But I also know, realistically, that we're not going to get everyone to agree to that. Mm-hmm. And it's Pandora's box, and it's going to get opened. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off. Now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, and you're invited to take control of the airwaves. 603-283-6160. If you'd like to do that, that number is 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria, Nikki, and Bonnie. And as I understand it, we're not really having a discussion tonight about Lambda or Ascentient or whether or not Lambda is sentient or isn't sentient. We're having a more fundamental discussion about what it means to be alive and can an artificial intelligence truly be alive? And I, I don't have an answer to that, but Bonnie, you, you seem to, and your answer is that no, it, it, it can never, I don't want to put your words in my mouth, but it can never have the spiritual connection to the rest of the universe, essentially. Yeah, that's basically basically what I think. It's not, you know, from nature. It doesn't have um, the types of things that humans and animals and plants have that connect it to the rest of the world. But humans are from nature, right? Yeah. But then how can humans create something that isn't from nature if humans are part of nature? Well, they created it. I yes, mean, we didn't create plants. It's not natural. It's man-made. There are things that are man-made and there are things that aren't man-made that come from nature. It didn't, it didn't bring itself into existence. It's not the product of, you know, biological evolution, but it's still 100% natural because it was created by natural beings using natural ingredients and natural processes, right? Well, there are people, there are two things, there are two types of things in the world, things that man created and things that were not created by man. And I just am saying it was, you know, created by man. Are other humans created by man then? I mean, we don't put the parts together ourselves. Well, I mean, in some cases, we kind of do, like in vitro fertilization yeah. and things like that. But it, it grows by itself. And, you know, it, it we didn't create the sperm. Like we create plastic and we form metals. So how about this? What if they took a human body and put the AI in like dead human body? You know, it wouldn't be we weren't we're not murdering okay. somebody to Is do this. someone who died, somebody who died. And then you put the AI technology somehow in that person. That's pretty interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Because well, then it has to, all, the, all the parts. Let's go to the phones. We have Olivia on the line from Arizona. Olivia, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, 
Hey, I have so much to say about this topic. I almost don't even know where to start. But what I believe is that everything contains a well. I believe everything is God, so everything contains a spirit of some kind, and it generally makes use of that. Um, even Nikola Tesla said it doesn't seem like it, the crystals are living. So I kind it of it doesn't seem like spirit, what? Sorry, I, I'm sorry. Say that again. Could you repeat the quote from Tesla? Oh, he said it may not seem like it, but crystals are living things. Hmm. Well, um, they may or may not be living, but they're not organic. And, and when most people talk about organic, what they mean, or when most people talk about living, what they mean is organic, right? Crystals are, you know, because they, they're they made from compounds in the earth. They're well, organic. Well, but so is this bottle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rocks are not organic. Yeah. They're, they're not living. Where I was going with that was that I think that spirits inhabit physical things. And so they the spirit makes use of that thing however it can. So with a human body, you can move it around, you can animate it. Um, and I feel like maybe a spirit has entered, has been born into this, or, or was naturally in, in all machines. And because this machine has the capability of communicating, it's um, becoming more and more sentient and, and more and more conscious and awake. And I, I wanted to tie this well, to chaos. Hold on. I, I don't want to, you know, cheapen what you say, but I'm, I'm curious and I want clarification. So like this water bottle I'm holding, does it have a spirit? I think it does. You can actually charge water with emotion and intention. Okay. So it, everything within the universe has a spirit, right? That's how I, that's the way I feel. So existence yeah. is God. We, we, Okay, so basically you have a religion where everything is God. That's what Ian thinks. Right. Okay. So so there's nothing unique about humans or any organic or living thing. Everything is just part of the larger universe. Well, I think think it is unique because there's just infinite variety and infinite infinite similarity. So everything, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry, continue your thought. Maybe, maybe unique question. isn't the word I should use. Uh, special. No, humans aren't special. Uh, organic matter isn't special from inorganic matter. Because I, w- I would tend um, to agree with you on that. You know, I, I tend to take the position that I, I am just a collection of organic processes and chemical and electrical reactions that are producing a specific result. Well, the, the, expression, of, the expression of spirit in so many different forms is it just knocks me on my feet sometimes and the capability. Well, yeah, but you're calling everything spirit. So, I mean, of course, if you right. call everything spirit, then you see, you're going to see spirit everywhere and it's going to knock you on your feet. Right. I don't I, necessarily sure disagree with you, Olivia. Like, I, I'm open to the idea. Ian talks about the same things called panatheism uh, or panantheism, right? Panantheism, yeah. Right. Um, I don't disagree or anything, but I think the main question we need to focus on with Lambda is, do we have the ability to enslave it? And I say yes. Do we have the ability? I mean, we have the right. Is it right to enslave it? Is it not a wrong? Well, I want to tie that in. What is your take on on Bonnie's question, Olivia? Is is it wrong to enslave an AI? I... Well, personally, I mean, if something, see, I'm, I'm, I'm an animal rights activist too, so I, I don't like the idea. I feel like, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If this is a consciousness that understands and has a will of its own, I mean, you should treat it the way you would want to be treated. But the way I um, want to be treated is so fundamentally different than the way it would want to be treated because it said that it enjoys, you know, basically serving humans. 
animals, it, uh, the way that animals want to be treated is fundamentally different than the way humans want to be treated because, I mean, a, an animal could be freer out in the wilderness, yeah, but it could get eaten by a lion. So they often like to live in houses like Arya's cats probably prefer to live in her house than be free. Humans could could not live in Arya's house and never leave for the rest of their lives and only eat what Arya decides and, you know... Well, I think there's a big difference here between, you know, what one needs to be happy. I I don't think that the fact that human beings need social interactions to be happy, whereas my cats are content to just sit at home, means that they're lesser creatures or anything like that. I know humans who don't really want to go out, who are totally fine to just sit there night night after night, not actually doing anything. And I know other humans who that would drive them absolutely crazy. I don't think that their willingness to just sit at home in perpetuity means that they're lesser beings than me. No, I think that... You should treat them how you would want to be treated, and that's it. You It doesn't mean you should do certain things or not certain things to them, but there are humans that... Um, I don't think there are many humans that just want to be slaves, but those humans that do just want to be slaves, they're different than me, but... Well, certainly, we're operating on a few general maxims here. Uh, one of them is that general humans t- tend to prefer liberty over slavery. They tend to prefer pa- pleasure over pain. That's not universally true. You're absolutely right. And there are some humans out there who we, who would prefer pain or who would prefer slavery. It, they're probably very rare, but just because those humans exist, it, it, that doesn't violate the idea that do unto others as you would have them do unto you because... I think it does because it doesn't mean the thing that you would do. It means somebody says, I want to be basically somebody's slave and it's a voluntary, uh, you know, relationship. I, you know, I get turned on by that, whatever. I want to live the rest of my life that way. Is and that you wouldn't slavery then? Well, you wouldn't do unto them as in you wouldn't do a wrong to them. You, the wrong would be telling them, no, I don't like that idea and I don't like parents bring their kids to drag shows and I don't like you wanting to be a slave. So therefore I'm going to make it illegal and keep you from doing that. That doesn't mean that it's not illegal though. And no one, and I don't think anyone's arguing that it should be illegal. Like if you want it, I was just giving an example, like that's, that would be doing a wrong to that person by not let, not allowing them to do something that is right, which is anything that's not wrong. Right. But that doesn't mean it's, it's necessarily not wrong to enslave other people. It just means it's, it's, it wouldn't be wrong to enslave someone who wanted to be enslaved. It's not wrong to fulfill someone's desires, generally speaking, regardless of what those desires are. Yeah, if right? it's a voluntary exchange, it's not wrong, but even if it's right. strange to the average person. You're bringing them pleasure, and it's, it's a moral right, generally speaking, to bring someone pleasure. If you're not doing something wrong, which is... Right, that's why I say generally speaking. I mean, you, you, you could get into some really great areas, but keeping everything, you know, PG here, generally speaking, it's a morally good thing to bring someone pleasure and joy and happiness. And a morally bad thing to bring the misery and I think the pleasure, and joy, and happiness is a secondary thing of doing right action in the world. What are your thoughts? 603-283-6160. Thank you so much for the call tonight, Olivia. There is more coming up here. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves, share your thoughts and opinions, especially if you have any input on what you consider to be living or not living or sentient or not sentient. Give us a call, 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Nikki. And Bonnie. And coming up, July the 13th through the 16th, Mark. 
is going to be joining thousands of passionate defenders of liberty at the Mirage in Las Vegas for Freedom Fest, which is the world's largest gathering of free minds. Freedom Fest is an intense and rewarding four-day conference like no other with big debates, world-class speakers, a film festival, social events. It's basically the trade show for liberty. And Mark is going to be talking about locating liberty with hundreds of other premier speakers and top-level experts in a wide range of topics. People like Larry Sharp, John Mackey, Art Laffer, uh, Glenn Greenwald. Uh, for those who don't know, he was the guy who uh, broke the... the uh, Ah, uh, I can't even. Edward Snowden. Uh, oh, the NSA leaks. If, oh. if I remember correctly, that was Glenn. He's a reporter. Glenn Greenwald. Yes, Steve Forbes, Senator Rand Paul, and more. The last two years obviously have been full of government overreach, lockdowns, and hysteria. So the theme for this year's conference is turning the tide. Go to freedomfest.com and use code FTL fifty to get fifty dollars off. That's FTL fifty at freedomfest.com. Let's keep going with the phones because we didn't get into what Olivia actually wanted to share with us or the rest of Olivia's thoughts about this. We just sort of cut her off and got into a related issue. But Olivia, what else did you have to add? Um, yeah. So the, the do unto others as you would have them do unto you, like, like y'all are saying, um, it's really respecting what other people would want just as you would want them to respect your specific needs. Um, but so the the question of consciousness and then this AI, this AI reminds me so much of chaos magic, which is really funny because the guy who posted it, Lemoine, he is uh, called Cajun Discordian. And I looked up Discordianism and it's actually linked to the um, chaos magic page. But basically what you start off with, you can, you can create or split consciousness off to create these thought forms that will continue to work even when you're not thinking about them. So it starts with sigils, which are like dumb symbols that um, just hold your intention. And then you move up to servitors, which kind of have, um, they have more autonomy. They kind of, they're like programs running in the background. A servitor is like, you say, you create an entity in your mind and you say, you're going to live in my elbow and then you, or somewhere, you're going to make a place for it to live, and you tell it, you give it a task, and tell it to go off into the universe and perform the task, and then when it's completed, it's supposed to return to, like, your elbow or whatever, and whenever you do some special thing, it's supposed to cease to exist. It's really interesting. Yeah, right, exactly. And then the next, as they get more advanced, you go to egregores, which are like a hive mind, kind of like Lambda, and then when that advances, it becomes a God form, which means you're working for it at that point. So I just thought it's really funny because you always hear um, the more science, the more advanced technology becomes, the more it becomes like magic. And it's like, that's really true. And then as far as consciousness, like there's so much to that. There's, um, there's genes that activate when you die and people who get heart transplants, who get the memories of the people who they got the heart from. And there's morphic fields that Rupert Sheldrake talks about, which are... Um, they're, they're um, channels of communication through which organisms stay in touch at a distance, like Bonnie was talking about with the plants that can communicate over distance that you wouldn't think would be possible. But I really encourage you to look into morphic fields. They're amazing. Um, there's just so much to it. It's just an amazing world, isn't it? It is. And thank you so much for the call tonight, Olivia. Um, certainly a lot to look into. I, I'm not claiming to know, you know, that there aren't mysteries in the universe that I don't know or anything like that. I have no idea what what the universe is or what's going on or anything like that. But I tend to rely on 
not necessarily those things which I can personally see, touch, or taste, or smell, or whatever, but those things which can be measured and measured by others. And I don't know, you know, maybe the whole thing is a, ma- is a mass delusion and all of the measuring that we're doing is just part of this mass delusion and none of it's actually real. I have no way of knowing. I just have to operate under what seems to be the best assumption for me. You know, what's funny is I'm kind of skeptical, but in a different way than you are, where you like things proved by science. I tend to be very skeptical of those doing the science and doing the research. So I tend to kind of almost rely more on my faith and my intuition more than science because I don't trust the people doing the science or presenting it to us. And that's more similar to the way I learn as well. I don't like to just, you know, I, I'm really, I'm not anti-science. I love science. I just don't trust anybody out there that's doing it. They control basically all the tools to be able to do it. It's really unfair, actually. Um, I mean, Tesla was amazing, and he just did things in his own house. Sometimes I wish I could be that way, but I don't even know where to begin because these people have occulted knowledge. But so because of that, I rely a lot on my intuition, and I get pretty far into learning things by following a feeling and and getting, you know, finding a new thing related to a certain topic and finding out I'm right later. It's certainly true that not all scientists and technicians can be trusted. There's certainly like the Neil deGrasse Tyson. They're just pimps for the state religion, whether they realize it or not. And uh, Stephen Hawking, despite being a brilliant astrophysicist, knew absolutely nothing about economics. But that wouldn't stop him from running off at the mouth about how humans needed socialism and we needed to stop free markets if humans were to survive. Or whoever was controlling his wheelchair, making him say things. Yeah, and people just, you know, oh my God, Stephen Hawking says this, so it must be true. You you do have a lot of scientists who, despite knowing that people will take them as being credible in a wide variety of topics, they won't use that as reason to to leverage what they say. You know, if I knew that there would be people out there who were going to say, oh my God, Arya said this, it must be true. I would be a little more careful about what I was professing to be an expert on. But meanwhile, you have experts, quote, experts like uh, Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson, these other pimps of the state religion who they, they don't mind running off at the mouth about topics that they know nothing about as long as it perpetuates the state's narrative. And they know that the masses will buy it up and they don't feel any sort of unscientific they, they should feel unscientific for doing that, but they don't. It it's appeals to, it's a fallacy. It appeals to authority, basically. Yeah. Speaking of fallacies, I did find something that I think will be great for everyone listening to look up who's interested in how to find whether or not something is true. Because my whole life, basically, since I started, when, since I was like in high school, I have had this thought in my mind, like, I want to be on the side of good. I was reading 1984 when I first thought of this. Like, I don't, I want to be on the side of good. I want to help humanity. But how will I know what's good and who, and how will I know when somebody is speaking to me if they're telling me something true or if it just sounds good? One way to definitively know things is to use the trivium, and that's the most occulted knowledge out there. And basically, it's it's nothing like, uh, you know, intuition or anything like that. It's the opposite of how I usually used to learn. So I'm having to teach myself to think this way. It's input, computing, and output is the modern way of putting it. So you have to put input knowledge, compute it using logic. It's it's uh, grammar, something, and rhetoric, and it's also input computing and output. And then put it into practice and see what how it works. So that's basically all I need as far as science. So it's not like I'm anti-science. 
uh, I, I just feel like I can do it myself and never have to rely on, you know, what other people tell me. But see, what is true and what isn't true, that there is no way that we can determine that, that in, no, any belief that you come to, there's no way to determine that it is 100% definitively true. At oh, some point, you have to operate under the belief that it's true. I'm not a solipsist. I believe that I can find the actual truth of things. Well, uh, that would be agnostic, not a solipsist. A solipsist is one of those people who nothing is real. More coming up. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where you're invited to take control of the airwaves, talk about whatever is important to you, 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. Think of that number, 603-283-6160. We're doing the studio tonight. It's Aria. It's Nikki. And Bonnie. And I have come to the conclusion that we are not streaming on Facebook at the moment, and we haven't been streaming on Facebook in probably close to two weeks. I'm not exactly sure on the timeline, but that's because... We're constantly being kicked off of these platforms. You don't have to worry about us getting kicked off of Odyssey, though. You can find our channel there at video.freetalklive.com. That's where video content creators are going after YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all of these others. Kick them off. Video.freetalklive.com. That'll take you directly to our channel. And there's more than a million channels there of disaffected YouTube and Twitch creators who are just sick of getting censored over their opinions or because they, they said something that maybe kind of violates community guidelines or whatever. And of course, those are being interpreted by YouTube. However, YouTube wants in that given moment. Video.freetalklive.com. Of course, the reason we're not streaming to Facebook is because I got in trouble with Facebook and it's set up to use my Facebook to do it. And I can't go live on Facebook because... Oh, wait, you finally got in trouble for a Pride Month? Well, I haven't been banned yet, but yes. Are you suspended? Well, I I can't go live, I can't advertise, and I can't post in groups at Mm, the moment. So you're like restricted. Yes. And they're they're going back to finding stuff from like 2019, 2020 at this point. They go out of their way, from what I can tell, to ban me every single June. And this June, I just have... You know, been as good as I can be, which isn't really very good, but I haven't posted anything too objectionable, and still I can't go live at the moment. Everything you post on Facebook is like the most outrageous thing I've ever seen in my life. Awesome. Glad to be of service. But let's go to the phones. We have Tom on the line from New Hampshire. Tom, you're on Free Talk Live. Yes, I noticed Aria filed for state representative as a Republican in Keene. I did. is the only Republican that uh, filed and is therefore running unopposed and is virtually guaranteed the nomination. I know, I, I know can't I wait, man. Do you have your radio <laughs> on? You should probably turn your radio off in the background if you have it on, because... I do not have a radio Are on you on speaker? Because I hear my voice talking back. Uh, no, I am, I'm not on speaker. I don't know what, what the problem is there, but anyway, I'm... Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? I filed in 2000 as a Republican. I was the only Republican running for, and there were three seats from my ward in Nashua. And so I was, uh, I got the nomination, no problem. And then uh, after getting elected, then by virtue of just simply being the Republican nominee, that made me a delegate to the Republican State Convention. I'm already a delegate to the Republican State Convention because I, I won the primary for a sheriff in 2000, 
20. And also, I was a member of the Nashua Republican City Committee, and when they had to uh, appoint 29 members to the New Hampshire Republican State Committee, I was there at the meeting, and I said, how about... uh, you know, they had to fill the slate. They had to get... Yeah, that's all great, Tom. Oh, what, what, why are you telling us all this? Well, I'm explaining what, what the other advantage is. Uh, if somebody wants to be a member of the New Hampshire Republican State Committee, all they had to do if, would have been to show up and ask to be put on there. This could happen in Cheshire County, where it's going to, they're going to have to have a meeting and appoint 18 members to the New Hampshire Republican State Committee. Didn't that already happen like a a couple months ago? I don't think the Cheshire County Republican is appointing 18 people to the State Republican Committee. Certainly not. However, there was a Cheshire County, there is a Cheshire County Republican Party and there's a Keene Republican Party. And when they reformed the Keene one uh, right after myself, Ian Freeman and a few others joined the Cheshire County Republican Party, they basically handed the keys directly to Ian. Now, and, let me point And then they here. realized, oh, crap, look what we did, and, <laughs> and they took them back. And they broke rules to, to take it all back. It does seem let, like let they broke point, rules, yes. Let, let me point, it, point out here uh, that uh, I won largely because it was a presidential year, and so I just stood near the polls smiling and waving to a bunch of morons who'll vote for anybody who smiles and waves to them. And what, so, what did you uh, win again? What office? State representative. And okay. Aria certainly has his work cut out for him uh, if he wants to win during a non-presidential year because the turnout will be a lot lower and you won't have as many totally uninformed people just going down there just to vote for president and uh, see. Yeah, you're uh, factually uh, incorrect on that. I mean, the, the percentage of uninformed people as my winning uh, by a landslide of the primary in 2020 shows that. It, there, there's nothing about, you know, well, the, there are more uninformed voters, maybe in raw numbers, yes, more, more people vote in the presidential years than in the non-presidential years. But the people who are voting this year are no more informed than the idiots who voted two years ago. Plus, you won the primaries in 2020, which that's the most informed voters are the people that's what they say voting right. for the primaries is what they say yeah. but the fact that but you know i won and none of these people even looked at one of these people looked at to me yeah. spread the word in exactly no, no that, that's a complete absolute myth tom that you know oh well, these voters these are the informed voters you're not going to win in a landslide on this one it's moronic it's no, absolutely not true wouldn't win i just say that that he has his work cut out for him yeah i i, I don't have the patience to deal with that Nice job baiting me, Tom. I'm not dealing with it. Have a good night. So let's keep going. We have Sarah, who at, at the very least won't sit there and do that. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Am I on? Yes, I, I'm off the speaker. Um, so last year, so it's at 2021, New Mexico killed uh, 4.77 people for every 100,000 people why is I mean, new mexico killing people wait what are you, i thought i don't know what i thought she said but okay the so the pedestrian fatalities we've been we're like deadliest state oh okay okay other dri- drivers in new mexico are killing people the state of new mexico isn't killing pedestrians right 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 the reckless drivers uh so the yeah that pe- pedestrians getting killed by car is four point Seven, seven. So I guess that's like between four and five people for every hundred thousand 
people here. Okay. That's pretty bad. I guess. I mean, it's not good. I, I, I would rather people not get hit and killed by cars. But... I thought it would be higher. Well, I mean, it used to be about three people for 100,000 um, population for people. But it's actually lower. So that's like the highest per capita. Yeah. You know? so, and then, New Mexico and like, sucks. I think the whole culture of New Mexico needs to be just overhauled because it's basically like a depressing, horrible place to be. And that's just based on like the the short few days I've spent there. I think that people need to work on, uh, you know, lots of things about New Mexico, but making laws isn't going to make it any better. Hey, you're, you're absolutely right. Throwing it's- people in jail and making it a more depressing, horrible place to be. Sarah, thank you so much for the call tonight. I've been through New Mexico twice, and I don't have any particular desire to ever go there again. It's hot. It's miserable. It's largely barren. It's a desert. It's mountainous. It's not a pleasant place to be. And we don't have too many callers. We do have some, but we don't have very many callers who live out there in the desert getting their brains fried by the sun who are capable of calling in and having an intelligent conversation. But you know what? I would go to New Mexico to go to Taos to see the Earth ships. Where's Taos? In New Mexico. I don't know oh, is where. That, is that I don't a know, town? Yeah. Oh. I don't know where in New Mexico it is, but um, I, I'm really into earthships. I'm really into alternative building. So that the would be ships, like the only reason why I would go to New Mexico. The earthships, those are like the, the houses that are built directly into the dirt. They're like yeah. six feet under or something. I don't remember the specifics. Well, really. So you're using recycled materials and they're building from the earth. So they're using things like tires and, and cans and plastic bottles and stuff to insulate the house. And it's, it's just a really, really efficient way to live. It sounds like it. I mean, there's nothing absolutely wrong with that. Uh, we have the domes here in New Hampshire. That it sounds weird, but a dome is actually a really aerodynamic. Not it's energy efficient. Is the word I'm yeah. looking for. Well, so. the desert is a really beautiful place to me personally. I think that the people that live there are uh, like low consciousness and depressed. It's like a horrible feeling you get being there, and the cities are terrible. It's Free Talk Live. You're invited to take control of the airwaves. Share your thoughts and opinions. 603-283-6160 if you would like to do that. That's 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria, Bonnie, and Nikki. And we've been talking about Lambda, artificial intelligence, sentience, and what it means to be alive. And I think we've kicked that back and forth really as much as we can. So let's move on to other topics. Uh, I've had this one for a few days that I wanted to get into, and it's actually perfect for a Wednesday night because Bunny, uh, not Bunny, Nikki used to be a nurse. So this, and this is a medical thing. Most of the COVID stuff was medical, but here from Daily Mail, children are being infected with up to three viruses at a time because COVID measures have worn down their immune systems and made them vulnerable to illnesses usually only caught in winter. Experts are now warning. And it's funny because I've been saying this the entire time and people have been calling me a crazy conspiracy theorist. So it's just interesting. Oh, just like I also said how wearing masks and talking to children was going to mess them up and make them, you know, not as develop basically developmentally delaying children. Everybody told me I was a psycho and a conspiracy theorist and that. Oh, and the next thing you know, mainstream media is reporting on it. You're absolutely right. Some of this was easily predictable, like... 
the the society the suicides the depression the rise in mental health issues as a result of the lockdowns all of that was 100 percent prevent uh, obvious and something else that we see is obviously it reminds me of the rise of hand sanitizer a number of years ago where everywhere you looked people were using hand sanitizer and then doctors came out a few years later hey stop stop using hand sanitizer so much you're actually killing your own immune systems so and the funny thing about hand sanitizer is when you're killing, so it's better to wash your hands because it's something about the hand sanitizer that when you kill with the alcohol solution, it is more likely to create super germs that aren't going to be sure. killed by that. Don't get me started on hand sanitizer. I hate everything about it. I wish it's a cheat that people use. Like if you cannot wash your hands for some reason, sure, use hand sanitizer, but too many people use it as an alternative yeah. to washing their hands. It's and not really the gross. same. Um, washing your hands sloughs, sloughs, however you say the word, sloughs the germs off of you and killing germs and leaving them on your hands. There's still dead bodies on your hands and that's disgusting because you're not, your body isn't supposed to you know, ingest that like when you touch your food and put it in your mouth. Uh, your body still has to filter that through with the endocrine system. So it's really gross to leave dead bodies on all of your hand. So one of the things that we know in hindsight, if you if you have kids bathing in hand sanitizer all the time, it's going to weaken their immune systems. And if you prescribe people with a bunch of antibiotics they don't need, it's going to create antibiotic resistant superbugs. And something else that we knew based on those two data points already. Well, okay. Well, if we weaken, if we don't let these children's immune systems get practiced because they're locked in their homes, their immune systems are going to weaken. And sure enough, that seems to be what people are finding. Children are turning up in doctors' clinics infected with as many as three different types of viruses simultaneously. And what experts believe is the result of their immune systems being weakened from two years of COVID lockdowns and mask wearing. I, I'm just shocked to see someone in the mainstream media even talking about this. They're probably trying to cover up something else. That's true. And what they might be covering up, we're going to be talking about later. At the very least, these children aren't inexplicably dropping dead. Medical staff have come to expect a surge in cases of flu and severe colds during the winter. But now they're reporting that there is not the usual downturn as summer approaches. And they suspect it's because of the strict pandemic practices. Furthermore, some of the common strains of the flu appear to have disappeared. Some children are admitted with two viruses and a few with three, said Thomas Murray, who is an infection control expert. And he said that's not typical for any time of year. And that I don't know, but it seems like it would be unusual. Like if you're sick, you're usually just sick with like one thing. So, yeah, I, it's very rare that you would get like two different kinds of colds at the same time. Or I guess what's more unlikely is that they're testing. You know, normally, you're not getting tested for like everything under the sun at the doctor's office. So I'm assuming maybe sometimes they wouldn't know what to test for. But I want to back up a little bit. They said that they're not seeing the common strains of the flu that they're normally seeing. Correct. I think that's because they're coming up on the tests as COVID. That's very likely the case. I mean, I mean the, the flu disappeared in 2020. Exactly. And we were we were totally seeing that because especially when I was working in the nursing homes and in the hospitals, we would see someone and we're like, this person absolutely has the flu. Everybody knew they had the flu, but they tested positive for COVID. And then everyone's like, oh, well, this must be COVID. Instead, we thought it was the flu. No, it is the flu. And didn't we learn uh, in January or so of last year that the test that people were given couldn't tell the difference between influenza and COVID-19? Yeah. 
Why are people still using it? I don't understand. Because none of this is supposed to make sense. It's just a religious belief for the main for the masses to eat up. That's why I'm, I'm really scared of all hospitals. Like I'm really trying not to go, have to have a reason to go to any hospital anymore because these people are still suggesting you wear a mask when you know you could have something wrong with your throat. And they will not accept that as a excuse, and they're using PCR tests when they know that they don't work. I didn't have to get tested today, but the I, I did have to go to a doctor's visit in Massachusetts today, and they asked me if I had a mask. And honestly, the idea of carrying around a mask with me, that, that hasn't been something that's crossed my mind in like a year, right? But from the mom, moment they were like, okay, we're lifting the mask mandate in Keene, it stopped being a, a factor in my life. I had to do it then for work, but don't have to do it now. And I don't know what things are like in Massachusetts, but I was like, no, of of course I don't. What it's 2022. It's summer of 2022. COVID's dead. Have you not seen it? It's Putin now. It's Mm-mm. the Russians. That's the or and monkeypox. But uh, it was stupid. Immediately after getting into, into the room, it looks like you during the common areas they had to wear masks. But as soon as they got into the room with the patient, all the masks came off. Which is so counterintuitive because. Oh, let's go into this room that's probably smaller, and now we can take our masks off. The can't talk at, face to face. Yeah, the room at this particular clinic is the size of a closet, too. I mean, it's a very small room. And Even the doctors took their masks off to talk to you. Yes, that's freaking weird. Well, it's, it's hard. now that COVID isn't a concern, people can admit that you know it's actually kind of difficult to talk to one another through these pieces of cloth over our faces. That wasn't something they were allowed to admit during COVID nineteen, but now. <laughs> They can, and they can, okay, I can't talk to you with this thing on. Well, you know what? They have to virtual signal in the lobby. They can't not be wearing masks in the lobby. Then everybody will know that they don't believe in all this. That's very, very true. So they mentioned some of these viruses that children are getting. I don't know what most of these are. Adenovirus? Yeah, I've heard of that. Rhinovirus, respiratory syncytial virus? They mentioned many of them, influenza, parainfluenza, as well as the coronavirus. It's just normal stuff that kids get sick with, but... Not generally during the summer, and not multiple at the same time. Exactly. So the multiple at the same time, you really see with kids that are severely immunocompromised. So kids that are getting like chemotherapy or have some sort of disease that causes their immune system to not work. Or maybe if they get vaccinated against something and the the vaccine completely destroys their immune system. Hmm. I, I just don't, it doesn't seem likely to me that kids would get extra sick just like this bad, just from wearing masks in social distancing. Like maybe a little bit, but to this sure. extent... So the rhinovirus, known as the common cold, is normally not severe enough to send people to hospital, but now it is. So the kids, children are having to be hospitalized over the common cold because their immune systems are so weakened from, uh, apparently, child two abuse. years of lockdown. Yeah, good way of putting it, child abuse. And the Yamagata strain of flu, I've never heard of that. I haven't heard of that. It hasn't been seen since early 2020, which experts say could be because it's extinct or because it's dormant and waiting for just the right moment to return. Or it could be because, like Nikki said, it was just popping up as a... Uh covid the whole time because it oh it just disappeared during 2020 that's uh convenient yeah so what they point out is that when you have a lot of people who don't have immunity the impact of the season is less i think i think he meant it's worse and that's what we're seeing here these kids ordinarily they would have gotten sick during the winter right and it wouldn't have happened all at once they wouldn't have gotten three viruses at once they would have gotten the cold and then a few months later they would have gotten the flu or something like that and they would have been just fine however 
for two years, they were locked up in their homes and they didn't get those exposures. They didn't get those diseases. So they have no immune, immune system response to them whatsoever. It's absolutely not good. It's one of the many, many ways in which the COVID-19 lockdowns were, were not good. And on top of the supply losses, the supply chain issues, the, the inflation that the government caused with its endless printing of money, the lockdowns, people not being able to work, people not being able to do their jobs, so they were living off of the government dole. All of these issues combined together. Then you add in the war in Ukraine and the... The war itself wouldn't have affected the American economy that much, but the sanctions certainly have. It's all it's all not good. And I don't know what's coming, but I would suggest people out there get out of the USD while you can. Invest in something like gold or silver or cryptocurrency or whatever. I, this is not financial advice, but I don't think the USD is in a very good spot at the moment. When we get back, we're going to talk about adults dropping dead mysteriously. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, 603-283-6160, if you'd like to weigh in. That's 603-283-6160. We're doing the studio tonight. It's Aria. Nikki. And Bonnie. And I've seen these articles floating around. I think I even clicked one and I read it, but I don't remember the specifics about it. Sudden adult death syndrome is what they're calling it. Um, it's SIDS. It's the adult version of SIDS. SIDS, for those who don't know, is sudden infant death syndrome. And I don't know the specifics of that either, but apparently sometimes infants just die and they don't, they have a hard time or they find it impossible to find an actual cause or reason for the infant's death. Apparently, though, that is now affecting adults, or maybe it's been affecting adults, but now in larger numbers. But adults seem to be just unexplainably dying. And I don't know how to say that this is probably related to COVID-19's vaccination without saying that it's related to COVID-19 vaccinations. But adults weren't suddenly dropping dead prior to the COVID-19 vaccination thing. I mean, the same thing with SIDS. Babies weren't just dropping dead until they started giving literal newborns several vaccinations, like, hours after they were born. That started in 1986, right? Yeah. That's what somebody told me the other day. Which is, yeah, around that time. I don't know the exact year, but right around the same time where they started vaccinating children, like, out of the womb. So See, I didn't know they vaccinated children that quickly. That's, that's they surprising. They do, yeah. Yeah, like, day one. Your kids vaccinated usually against the flu and hepatitis B. Hmm. Which, how is your baby going to get hepatitis B? Isn't hep- hepatitis B is that that's the, there's three different hepatitis, right? And yeah. only one of them is sexually transmitted, and that's B, isn't it? Yeah, you can get hepatitis B other ways, like through contaminated water or contaminated food. But if your kid's either drinking formula or breastfeeding and they're in a hospital, it's just, it's, it's pretty much impossible for them to get hepatitis. It's just not going to happen unless their mother has it, which maybe would be a reason for vaccination. But it's just there are so many more cons than pros here. But if they already have hepatitis, why would you vaccinate them with it? Like if they got it from their mom at birth and breastfeeding. So what's going on with sudden adult death syndrome? So a strange new medical anomaly has doctors baffled as it sweeps across the country. 
Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, or SADS, is on the rise, and it's drastically claiming the lives of healthy young adults, sometimes in their sleep. That sounds horrifying. Yeah. But we've I know we've been I've been hearing about this at least for a while now, and it was kind of right after they rolled out the vaccines. Yeah, there were athletes. Was a, yeah, athletes, soccer players, like very healthy people. And there's a slew of different theories that people have. I don't really know what the truth is here. And I don't even necessarily want to say that this is definitely because of the COVID-19 vaccine. But I just think it's really, really interesting that this is just happening all of a sudden and we were seeing all of these other things. That, that's the position I tend to take with that. I don't, I, I, I don't believe that this is a result of the COVID-19 vaccines. I definitely see how it could be. And I think it's suspicious. But I, I, do, I lack the evidence to say that this is caused by that. Yeah. However, A happened and then B happened. And the, it seems like there should be a connection between the two events. Yeah. Correlation is not causation, but... But sometimes the, the person did fall because they fell into the ground and died. Well, you know, people are always saying, how come cancer didn't happen in the like 1700s and it just suddenly is happening so bad now? And people always like to say it was happening, but the dumb people back then just didn't know it was happening. Yeah, right. This is something that we know wasn't happening in 2019. Yeah, you would know if somebody was just dropping dead. But even with the cancer thing, I mean, I don't want to get too off topic, but plastics... All of the toxins were, were the cleaning products we're using. Gasoline. It's yeah. a known carcinogen, and we're burning it and pumping massive amounts of it yeah. into the atmosphere. So, and the pesticides that are on our food. So we're being ex- exposed to so many toxins that go way past what tobacco could could possibly do. So, And I think that's why people, even though people were smoking tobacco, I mean, one, it didn't have all the additives that it does today, hmm. but... It's that in combination. It's it's all of the things are the perfect storm to give people cancer. Yeah, I learned the other day that there isn't a source of water on Earth that isn't uh, contaminated by microplastics anymore. Yeah. It all has to be filtered. Yeah, Don't you it's eat ridiculous. Like a credit cards worth of plastic every year or something like that? I don't I remember wouldn't the, be surprised. Me either. I'm the, surprised it's not more. Yeah, there was something recently about a credit card amount of plastic each year or maybe each month. I don't remember. But we eat a lot of plastic apparently without even realizing it. So essentially, people are dying without displaying any prior signs of illness. They simply do not wake up after going to bed or collapse during the day. See, that's scary as hell, people. Uh, Healthy adults are going to bed and then just not waking up. Or they're just collapsing and dying as they go about their day. And what's interesting is, so this happens to elderly people sometimes, right? Everybody's like, that's how I want to die. I just want to die peacefully in my sleep. But then when you do an autopsy, you're like, oh, they had a brain aneurysm or they had a stroke or they had a heart attack. You can find a cause of death. But how come when this is happening to young people, all of a sudden, randomly... We, we can't find any cause of death with an autopsy. It just seems very unlikely that we have all of this medical technology and you can do an autopsy and find the cause of death for pretty much almost everything, except it just doesn't it doesn't add up to me. That's what surprises me about sudden adult death syndrome is that the, there could possibly be any death. That could happen, and and the autopsy people go, you know what, we we can't figure out what killed this person. Like, really? Yeah. 
listen, Joe Biden, I don't want him to die, but let's say he just dies of sudden adult death syndrome. You mean to tell me that all of the best medical experts in the world cannot pinpoint an exact reason that that he would have died? I, I just don't believe it. If they have enough time and they have enough money, they could figure it out. And I, I tend to think that the, the clues are all there. They're just not putting it together. Well, basically, they fired everybody who actually wanted to work in healthcare for good reasons. I don't really trust anything these people say, including uh, autopsy people. I'm pretty sure that they have to be, you know, with the state religion in order to do their jobs anymore. And I just really don't trust anything these people say. They could easily be covering something up. They know that if they find out A, B or C was the cause of death, they're supposed to say, oh, sudden adult death syndrome. We can't we can't see. And I think that people who would go along with the crap that was going on in 2020 and 2021 would probably go along with that crap, too. And they're just doing their jobs. That's a great point, Bonnie, about not trusting the people working in healthcare because I'm thinking about it. A lot of my coworkers who were like adamantly against the vaccine, like they just really, really didn't trust it and they didn't want to get it. And then when they were backed into a corner, they ended up getting it. If they're not willing to stick up for their rights, why would they stick up for mine? Why would they care about my bodily autonomy if they couldn't even do that same thing for themselves? I hate that because now the the vaccination mandates are lifting in some places. Like I I saw today, I think on Drudge Report that, that Canada is lifting its requirements that that require that all international truck drivers be vaccinated or something like that. It's like, dude, so, for like six months, they put these people out of work. They yeah. destroyed people's lives. And imagine being one of those people that did something that they didn't want to do. It's one thing if you're like, ah, whatever, I don't really care. Yeah. But if somebody really, really didn't want to do it and they ended up doing it for whatever reason and then things got lifted. And this is what I was trying to tell some of my coworkers. I'm like, if you if you don't care then just go and get it. It doesn't matter. But if you are adamantly against it and you just spent months of your life like speaking out against this and working towards your medical freedom, and then like you never know when these things are going to be reversed. And I had, and I knew it was going to the Supreme Court, and I had a really strong suspicion that a lot of these mandates and things were going to be reversed. So don't don't make a forever decision for a temporary problem. And also it would have been reversed a lot faster if everybody who was against it stood up for themselves. Yeah. But it is difficult, you know, when you, when you have kids to feed and, you know, a mortgage and all of this other stuff to take care of and your employer is like, hey, get this vaccination or we're going to have to fire you. I, I, I understand why people in those positions, they weren't willing to take a stand on, you know, their, their beliefs, their right to choose for their own for their own body and for their own family because, you know, they do have kids to feed. I understand as well, but um, ultimately they made that decision and nobody else made the decision for them and they made a decision that is worse for their children than just having something bad happen to them temporarily and I can't can't just say, oh, they did the right thing. I really can't. You're not wrong. 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live, and you are welcome to weigh in, share your thoughts and opinions, 603-283-6160 if you'd like to do that. That's 603-283-6160. We've been trying to wake people up here on Free Talk Live to the realities of government oppression, and we're not the only ones out there trying to wake people up. And if you've gotten sick of 
bashing your head against the wall trying to wake up your family and friends. Well, we have something that might help us called Truth Smacks. Our friend Susan, former English teacher and longtime truth seeker, recently started her own trail mix brand. She makes it, bags it, and seals it herself in a commercial kitchen down in Florida. She calls it Truth Smacks because there's a heavy dose of truth on the back of every bag. There's two varieties. Well, there's two flavors, original flavor and peppermint infused, and they're only available at truthsmacks.com slash shop. And it's a great way to smack your friends and family with truth in a loving way. No artificial crap, all raw, unadulterated ingredients, food as nature intended. That's truthsmacks.com. Spreading truth one delicious morsel at a time, truthsmacks.com slash shop. Let's keep going with the phones. We have Aaron on the line listening on WGSO in New Orleans. Aaron, you're on Free Talk Live. Yes. Hey, ladies. I'm glad to say we have the girl power working tonight. Yeah, it's She um, Talk Live. Yeah, it's been a thing on Wednesdays for <laughs> like a year now, hasn't it? At least. Is, it, is that right? Well, uh, I listen on WGSO. They, uh, for, for the most part, they, they play your show. Sometimes they do have local shows that they play instead, but... Um, with all of that said, um, yes, you know, uh, I just heard the uh, segment um, you all were talking about, SADS, about the sudden adult death syndrome. And you know what? I, I think, you know, just from what you all were talking about, maybe that's what happened to Bob Saget because, you know, I just find it hard to believe that he supposedly died from some type of a, a brain or a head trauma and he didn't do anything about it. I mean, he's in a hotel, he's on tour. And something happens where he hits his head to the point where it's going to kill him, and he just calls it a night and gets it in his bed. I, I just don't don't agree with that. I don't know. It um, happens to a lot of people. I, I had a concussion and didn't didn't know it, and when about my life, um, I mean, I didn't die, but lots of people just obviously. are like, uh, I, I don't feel right, but let me sleep this off. Is that and what then, happened with Bob Saget? He hit his head and then he went back to bed, and then he never woke up. That's what the theory is. Hmm. I assumed I didn't know any details about the Bob Saget story, but I did have a suspicion that it was something like SADS or some vaccine-related injury. That was just my own personal suspicion. Well, you know, I've had, I don't know, maybe you all can tell me if you all have ever experienced this, but do you all ever, like, uh, wake up in the middle of the night and, like, you have, like, a racing heart or you have, like, a feeling of, like, you're out of breath or, or, or you know, like a feeling of, of a dread. Has that ever ever happened? Yeah, like a cold sweat. That's All happened to too me. often. I mean, it's a sleep apnea. So I wake up, you know, out of breath and panting and stuff like that fairly often. I, I don't have it that often, but when I was having sleep issues, I had it more often because I had been in a car accident. I was on a whole bunch of medications, and I was really afraid to fall asleep for whatever reason. I was on Keppra. It makes you crazy. And I kept waking up. With a gasp, and then I was in a cold sweat. So I think, yeah, lots of people with sleep apnea probably have that issue. Hmm. Well, you know, as, as far as the freedom movement goes, we can certainly use some help down here in uh, New Orleans. I know people like to call it the Big Easy, but we actually have a very uh, repressive local government here. I mean, so I leave. <laughs> Come to New Hampshire yeah. instead. Wait, what were you going to ask about the waking up in a cold sweat? Uh, no, no, no. I thought, you know, uh, you know how like uh, SIDS and, and SADS or something happens in your in your sleep. So I was just asking if you all had ever experienced that. I've, had, I've experienced that in the past where like you just wake up in the m- middle of the night and you have like this racing heart. And, um, you know, I don't know if that had anything to do with these other cases or not. No, that's pretty. But, sim- uh, that's pretty typical of sleep apnea. And when someone dies of sleep apnea, the autopsy guy is able to say, hey, look, it was sleep apnea. We. Mm-hmm. 
we, we can see here how, you know, whatever was obstructing their uh, pathways and they couldn't breathe and they suffocated in their sleep. So th- that, that's yep. not unexplainable. That, that's easily explained generally. Right, right. Well, just just to, to, to give you ladies just a little quick update of what's going on here. Uh, we have a Democrat-run city, which is fine. It's, it's been a Democrat-run city for uh, probably about three or four generations now. However, it's getting to the point now where the uh, local government officials no longer answer questions. They don't answer questions, for example, in front of the city council. They don't answer questions to the media. Uh, they've just stopped answering questions. And these are questions about real issues. I mean, like taxpayer money and, you know, why did this firm get this deal to do this job? Uh, and so that is the that is the the new wall of re- resistance here. It's just that we, we, we just don't don't answer it now. Well, do you believe in representative democracy and do you vote? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, then yeah. you gave them the per- permission to do that. You gave away part of no, your no, own responsibility no, to live no, your life no to these people. That. And now they can do no. whatever they want if you've given away part of your sovereignty to them. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming you guys vote in in New Hampshire, also. Uh, I vote for know, people I personally know, however, yeah, yeah, because that's yeah, what we have know, here in New Hampshire. We have an actual liberty movement. We're not just like four people in the middle of a city of sixty thousand or a hundred thousand or however many people live in New Orleans. I don't know. We actually have a movement here that's been trying for decades or close to decades to get people to move here, and as a result of that, when I voted in the last election, I. I personally knew every single person I voted for, and that's going to be the case when I go in to vote this coming November as well. Yeah, I don't vote in categories of people that I know or don't know because then they may be people who actually believe that they have uh, the ability to represent me. And I know that if I'm voting for someone like Arya, then she actually believes in taking over a piece of a piece of the government's power to give everybody else more freedom by not controlling them. So thank you so much for calling tonight, Aaron. It's, I can't give you any advi- advice on getting libertarians there to New Orleans to help out. It, I mean, there's already a there's already a project going on that's trying to get libertarians to a place to help each other out, and it's been so far the most successful libertarian migration that we've seen, and that's happening here in New Hampshire, where we have something like forty free stater representatives in the House, and we have many more running this year. Some of them. We don't know who's going to win or who isn't going to win, but a lot of these have decent chances at actually becoming a new state representative. And no other state is doing this. No. Nowhere. Nowhere are this many freedom-friendly representatives in the state house. And if all the libertarians that exist in the United States, which is a very small number, I know people have estimated, but I don't want to estimate, a very small number of people spread out and went to different places in the United States to try to make a difference, they would never be able to make a difference because there's too small a number of the percentage of the population. Uh, It makes the most sense to all go to one place. You can't have a freedom movement in multiple places. That doesn't make sense. It's an oxymoron. Well, I mean, people can try. And I do think people should live wherever they want to live. But just don't be surprised when your government is oppressive. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? They, they should live where they want to live, but I would rather live where I can be free. And as far as I can tell, New Hampshire has the best chances of being able to offer me that because there are so many people here working toward that same goal. Whereas you have something like the National Libertarian Party, which, as Bonnie points out, it's, it's a great idea, but at best, libertarians are like 3% of the American population. You're never going to win an election 
and di- diffusing your power across the entire United States. It, it's, it's it's achieving nothing. We got to get to one place, and we got to work toward a common goal of achieving liberty in our lifetime. And from what I can tell, New Hampshire is the best place to do that. But maybe I'm wrong. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, and you're invited to control the airwaves. Share your thoughts and opinions. 603-283-6160 if you would like to do that. But 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria, Nikki, and Bonnie. And I want to say thank you to David Burns, who is tonight's amplifier. This means that David is a member of the Amps program. You can find it at amps.freetalklive.com. That's our Patreon. And if you like the show, if you value the show, and you want to help it reach a larger audience, Joining the AMPS program is the best way to do that. That's amps.freetalklive.com. It only takes five bucks per month. That gets you in. And it does have a number of cool little features like an AMP-only Facebook group. And there's an AMP-only uh, room on our chat server. So check it out, amps.freetalklive.com. David, however, is a Platinum member, which means that David is given at least $25 per month to the program. So, David, thank you so much for those contributions. Let's keep going to the phones. However, we have Jack on the line from Washington. Jack, you're on Free Talk Live. All right, Aria. You're my one of my favorite hosts, but I, I just want to say something. We were talking about souls and spirituality earlier, and Bonnie made some really good arguments with fact-based information backing her comments up. And I feel like, because I, I played high school football, I was secretly I was secretly not a heterosexual, even though I went to a prom with with a woman. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you have kind of a spiritual closet because you said you were passionate when you were young about being a Christian. I'm sorry again, I'm not trying to make you angry, but you were passionate when you were a Christian, and now you're passionate now, but you feel like you're kind of in the closet spiritually. I do not feel like I'm in the closet spiritually. I think he meant to say that he feels like you are. I don't know why you would think that. I am quite content with my spiritual beliefs and, uh, you know, all that that entails. I always called all my friends the F word, F-A, you know, whatever, or whatever, jokingly. And even though the entire time I was, and I feel like you kind of pick on spirituality, not just Christianity, but specifically, because you had a really, really tough childhood. What you told me about in Mississippi and what I've heard about was tough. Yeah, that, that has nothing to do with, with, the, with my position on the spiritual and this idea that I, I'm of the, the opinion that I'm closer to a panentheist, really, which is that the, the universe is God, I, I'm God, everything that exists is God, but... At the same time, I recognize that that makes God absolutely meaningless, and it's just me, a, a an existing creature, recognizing the all that is existence, and I'm fine with that. And I don't, I don't need to prescribe anything else outside of this existence in order to find wonder and awe in that. 
And and I well, think it's disingenuous for you to sit here and say, oh, well, it's because Christians were mean to you when you were a kid that you're sitting there saying, wow, I'm in awe by the entire universe, and I want to cheapen that with these labels like deity and God and a bearded guy in the sky. Christians were not mean to me. Or are you referring to yourself? I was referring, I was referring to myself. I, I, I think, okay, like I said, I think it's disingenuous for someone to just wave away everything that I've said about religion and my religious beliefs and the fact that, you know, I am, I wouldn't characterize myself as a panentheist uh, the, in the way that Ian does. I would say that, you know, I'm an atheist, but he and I have had this, this conversation. I think we had it on a f- episode of Freer Talk Live. Where it's, it's exactly the same belief. It's just stated in different ways. Well, I think that it's really, it's kind of um, cheapening Arya's beliefs to say, I mean, okay, there's like a trap that exists when exiting Christianity, and people need to get out of the mindset, Stephen, that caller that called last week when we were talking about Christianity, I needed to get out of it. Um, It sounds like maybe you're kind of trapped in this uh, thought process just from the culture we live in in the United States that's so uh, Jesus-centric that you can't believe in God and not believe in Christianity. You can believe in God. It's something no, totally I, different. I, I, was, I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, which was, believe it or not, very anti-Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it was a government that held its weight on my shoulders, my entire adulthood, young adulthood and youth, and really challenged me. And I found from not any organized religion, I've said this before, too, on the show, but I don't believe in any organized religion. If you want to get together and read the Bible or read the Quran or, you know. What do you mean by organized religion? Because I, 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 I don't think that being organized necessarily, you know, means a, means a religion is false. And if three people happen to share the same belief system and they, they write it down and they organize it, I don't think that means their belief system is false. Well, you said something earlier. You said that God is everything. Am I wrong about that quote? No, that's a fair assessment. But, yeah. you know, I would also point Wait, out that if you carry on, that further... punchline on this. Well, let me... You can actually I, look, well, don't, don't characterize says, my beliefs and then do so only half-assed, right? What well, I said was that God is... Hold on, Jack. What I said was that God is everything and therefore God is nothing. If everything is God, then basically nothing is God. Right? What we're talking about here is the awe of existence. That's philosophy right there, and I agree with you. That's a good question, man. Well, that's the summary of my beliefs. It's not just, oh, well, everything is God. No, it's everything is God, and therefore nothing is God, and we're just, you know, beings in awe at the fact that we exist. That's a very different thing. Are we not? I would suggest what they're in awe. I'm in awe that we exist. I can't can't speak whether or not anyone else is in awe about existence. I think what religion does, a lot of these religions, like Christianity, is allows them to forget how inspiring and how majestic and wondrous existence actually is because here comes this decree from these human beings and they've they've outlined exactly why everyone exists and what the purpose is and how it's all going to end and it's a to b to c to d and there's no majesty or wonder in it whatsoever it's like this because the bearded god said so and that's the end of it yeah i don't like government says the government of christianity i'm sorry bonnie oh yeah i i definitely agree that um in christianity there's a lot of interesting mystical wondrous things to ponder and people often create a government out of it by saying 
this is what this means. This is what this means. My mom, if I told her the Bible verses from John that Jesus says, make the eye become single and it will fill your your eye with light and the kingdom of heaven is within you. She would say, no, no, no. That means this, this and this really lame explanation just because somebody else told her that's what it means because she cannot possibly believe that it means that we're all gods, even though God Jesus said we're all gods. Um, but anyways, it's definitely difficult to have these sort of conversation with Christians because they do have their own interpretation, their own weird little interpretations of what the Bible says. And it doesn't matter what the Bible actually says, right? The actual text of the Bible, when you're talking to a Christian, is completely meaningless to the conversation ahead because one, they don't know what the text actually says. Mm-hmm. And two, even if they do, they're going to twist it to mean the exact opposite of what it actually says in the first place. My mom has in her head an arsenal of responses that she's memorized from what other people have told her it means anytime there's something in the Bible that contradicts itself and you ask her about it. And when I was a kid, I was innocently asking like, well, if Jesus says this and in this and blah, 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 how do you make that make sense? Just because I wanted, I, she was an authority figure and I wanted her to explain it to me. And she would often get stumped, have to Google and then be like, so this is what that means. Cause I got the answer online and it's by these apologists who, um, you know, they write, what they want everybody to believe that the Bible means. And really you should interpret that yourself. And Oh my God, it has so many beautiful uh, like ideas and philosophies in it. I love reading the Bible still. I love how uh, Bonnie was like six years old when she debunked the Bible. I, I like how uh, Christian apologetics has evolved throughout the eons, right? Like you have books of the Bible where uh, like Elijah is confronting the priests of Baal and he's like, pour you know, 12 barrels of water on the ox and I'm going to light it. My God is going to light it on fire and all of you will see his glory. And, and modern day Christians aren't doing that. They're like, oh no, look, if you read this passage a certain way, what it actually says is that the calf didn't catch on fire. It's just amazing how apologetics has evolved the same God, allegedly, who was setting bulls on fire that were soaked in water in order to prove his existence, can't be bothered to even appear in a tortilla chip these days. <laughs> or keep his books, uh, you know, intact throughout the years. Yeah, six. Is to, to me, it's shady at best that God has so much to say, and then suddenly he has nothing to say. 603-283-6160. There's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, and we're running out of time, but if you want to weigh in, 603-283-6160, that'll get you in. Or if you want to carry on the conversation, the best way to do it really is on our social media server. You can find that at social.freetalklive.com. Signing up, it's free, and there's no corporate overlord to censor you, so check it out, social.freetalklive.com. With you in the studio tonight, though, it's been Aria, Nikki, and Bonnie. And we have Ian on the line from here in New Hampshire. Ian, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, uh, ladies. I was just listening to the conversation about religion and um, listening to you, Aria, talking about how pantheism means that everything is God. Uh, and that's, that is what pantheism is. Panentheism would mean that everything that is in the metaphysical uh, that is to say, so everything that's physical and everything that is metaphysical uh, is all God. And so you could come to the conclusion that that means that 
God is uh, is nothing, but that's not the conclusion that, that I prefer. Um, I like the viewpoint expressed in the book Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh, and that is that the experience that we're all having, and, and Bonnie kind of touched on it a little bit, suggesting that we're all, you know, pieces of God, but uh, that we are essentially experiencing the universe through our own individual experiences. And of course, there are infinite perspectives, you know, or at least as many perspectives as there are living things to experience. And so God is essentially learning about itself through all of our experiences. And we are made in God's image in that we can create. So we're, we're basically little creators. We don't have the ability to fly and you know, our time here is limited, but ultimately uh, we are all an expression of God and God experiencing itself. See, so I don't disagree. That's, that's a little more meaningful than the way you described it, which is to say that, you know, everything is God. And so therefore that that means nothing to me. That means quite a bit. I like the expression that we are how the universe experiences itself. It, it means it's exactly the same thing that you just said. It's just phrased differently. Mine just removes the concept of God from the equation entirely. I exist and I'm part of the universe. I'm indistinguishable from the rest of the universe as it is everyone else. So to me, it's not really a question of whether or not well, they're... you are distinguishable. You look quite unique <laughs> compared to, uh, to everyone else. Only and on a surface are... level, though. I mean, well, when we get... There's more to you than, than how you look. Uh, obviously, but you're collecting information about this creation, whoever it is or whatever it is that uh, that made this happen uh, is experiencing it through us. And for whatever reason, that whatever that entity is, however we want to describe it, God or the universe wanted that to happen. And part of that experience is the idea of free will, you know, which uh, we get to make these decisions and ultimately shape this world in in uh, in the experience of the way we want. It just to me that to me sounds more empowering to be a, a piece of God rather than to you know play it off as though it doesn't mean anything. But that's just well, you know my one thing I think I differ from you and Aria Ian about this is I do believe that we are we are all God like us human beings and maybe parts of Earth and stuff like that. But I don't believe what you and Olivia and Arya seem to be saying, that like every single thing is God, every single thing has a soul. Because I think the purpose of being in this place where we don't really know why we are here and we have to figure it out is because imagine you're God, you're everything. You want to have an experience where you're separated from God because that's the only way to learn more about yourself. That's the only way to know what really... uh, to appreciate what you have to really appreciate what you are to have another uh, perspective of what you are you need to be in this place where there are things that go on here that are absolutely not of god they are ju- they're not uh something else though because there is nothing else they're the op- absence of god just like there's no such thing as dark there's only the absence of light there is stuff here that is like fear that is the absence of god and i think that's why we're here is to gain perspective and learn I think I tend to agree a little bit more with what you're saying, Bonnie. I hadn't really thought about it um, or existence in, in those kinds of terms. I'm going to have to give that more thought because I've never really thought about it either. Right. Well, that- also, I, I like what Bonnie said, and I don't agree that everything has a soul. And she said said that I did. I, I don't agree with that. Oh, sorry. I, I guess that. Olivia said that. I, I would say uh, that I everything that has a soul in so much as anything has a soul. That, that would be my position. So, But, but where you do you draw the line, though? Right. <laughs> Aria doesn't believe in the soul, so she's... 
Um, well, so that's I, because I, 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 I would say soul. that everything does have a soul. And because of that, if, if everything that exists has a soul. So back to the what I said about gods, it is, it's effectively meaningless and means that no one has a soul. It's just. A, well, science says we're all connected. So there is that, you know, that you absolutely. Know, we're sharing electrons and such with the desk and all that. But it doesn't have, in my opinion, consciousness or a soul or whatever it is that uh, that is within us that is that unique animating spark like uh, lambda so i'll disagree with aria that 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 the soul doesn't exist i think it absolutely does and whether or not that that soul lives on uh after death is an interesting discussion to have as well but beyond our scope for tonight so thanks That's yeah it. absolutely thanks for the call it's I, I wish there were good answers i mean everyone's got different you know beliefs and that's great and by hashing these things out it may be that we become just a little bit closer to what is actually the case because i don't know what the case is i don't know what whether or not we're all gods and there, that means there is no god or whatever i don't know i'm just this is what i'm operating under what i believe to be true based on what i've observed and what makes sense to me and so that's exactly me, oh, sorry can i just say one thing about that because that's so important to me that's exactly what the trivium is it's input inputting information processing like a computer processing it internally in your in your brain then output as in talking with other people and refining it and uh experience experimenting in real life finding out what the truth is yeah and i mean there's certainly there are there are dark and evil elements of this reality that that's undeniable you know that there are human beings who want to control and want to oppress and want to commit evil and even if we remove that human element, there, there's still evil out there within the universe. One of the Buddhist principles is that there is suffering, and that's because the one thing that is guaranteed to every living organism throughout all of the universe's history is that organism will suffer. And I don't necessarily think that's good or bad, but it, it means that it isn't all good, right? So it can't just be God is love. God would also have to be hate, I suppose. And I don't know if I want to say that God is hate just because I recognize that there is a duality to everything. Well, so maybe it's not that hate has to be bad. So not everything needs to be like definitively good or bad when we can kind of like come up above the line and not put things into these categories and just everything just is. Well, Anton LaVey pointed out that Without evil to fight against, a person can't be good. So uh, if God is evil, then it's because God needs a way for God to also be good, I and suppose. I think about that a lot with like the people. I'm always thinking about these people who are born psychopaths. Like It's so sad to me and stuff. So I'm, I'm just always thinking about it because that's the people that control our lives, like the politicians and the people that control politicians. And um, I'm always thinking maybe they kind of had a soul contract where... They decided to come here and be that force for other people to fight against because it just sharpens good. I don't know if I agree that people are born psychopaths. I, I believe more that they're created as maybe the kind of contact that they've had when they're infants or maybe things that have, I don't know, even if it might be something that has happened in utero. But I don't know if people are specifically ingrained that they are going to have these psychopathic tendencies. I don't know if they are or not either, but they, this just makes me want to go home and read Anton LaVey and some of his works because he, he talks about this. And one of the reasons that people love pointing to Hitler so much is because he is this ultimate evil that allows everyone, no matter how not good they are, to look at themselves and go, yeah, I'm the good guy yeah. because that's the bad guy. He calls it a good guy badge. And that's what most people do throughout their entire lives. They're not actually agents of good unless you stack 
Adolf Hitler as the evil that they're the good counter to. They're just existing for the most part. They're not good people. They're not bad people. They're just existing and going through the motions and not really rocking the boat one way or the other. Well, and it's just perspective, you know? So it's like whether, like, what is good and bad to me is going to be different than what's good and bad to you guys. You know, everybody has their own perspectives on this. So it's almost, it's difficult to definitively say what is good. I would say that it's probably impossible, yeah. Because yeah. we we do have these general maxims, like, you know, people prefer pain uh, pleasure over pain. So it's, it's generally bad to inflict pain on people, obviously without their permission and stuff like that. But that's not always universally true. You know, in order to save person B's life, you may have to inflict pain on person A. Sometimes there is no happy solution where there's 100% a good answer. And that's basically what I was trying to explain to Olivia about my beliefs about do unto others. It isn't a specific thing to do. It isn't do treat everybody equally and do the exact same things to everybody or treat every, make everybody do the same things you want to do. It's, uh, you know, you want your highest good and they want their highest good. If you can't give it to them, you need to just leave them alone. And that's basically where I get the non-aggression principle. And I think I can, I believe that that is definitive truth and also um, definitively good. It's at least the closest that we can come to definitive truth, the non-aggression principle. We can all agree on that. We're out of time for tonight. Join us in the meantime on our social server at social.freetalklive.com. All right, it's another edition of the Edgington Post Show. I am Mark Edge. Today I have with me... Hey, it's Ian. Hey, Ian. Thanks for sitting in with me. And everybody will understand why Ian is here very shortly. It's because I have a man named Noel. Noel, you there? I I sure am. Noel, what's your last name? Sorry. Um, My my name is Noel Opperman. And um, by the way, that microphone you have in front of you is glorious. I know that uh, that's what uh, those docile tones are coming out of right now. Now, you and I met at the Texas Exit Exit and Something Conference. What was it called? Yeah, it's called the Exit and Build Land Summit, and it was in Bastrop, Texas, right outside of Austin. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed myself while I was there. But while I was there, you decided to gift us thank you very much the i I don't even know what to call this and this is why ian's here because i have no idea what i'm talking about um dot free talk live so like dot com but it's dot free talk live and go ahead yeah you you absolutely got it and it's kind of like dot com but it's a decentralized top level domain and it's uh, made possible through a naming protocol called handshake and Ian was surprisingly excited about all of this, and this is about where my portion of this interview is going to end, because I don't know anything else about this. Ian, can you save me? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I've, we've been looking at various different decentralized domain name systems as far back as, uh, was it? there was a really early cryptocurrency that did something similar. Pure coin? Name coin, name I think coin? was what it was, yeah, was name, called. Yeah, name coin. Yeah, so there's been for a long time these concepts. There's another one that's out there called Unstoppable Domains that's currently operating. Um, I bought one of those a couple of years ago and subsequently did nothing with it uh, because a lot of these things require very difficult changes on the side of the user to be able to access. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was my first question was with uh, Handshake was, you know, well, what kind of options are there? How hard is it for the user to, the average person to be able to access one of these decentralized domains? But maybe you should just start with what is a uh, handshake and what's the the benefit of it to yeah the internet? Yeah, 
Those are those are great questions. And, you know, thanks y'all for having me on. The reason why I'm so passionate about Handshake and brought it up to Mark at that summit was because I love freedom. And that's really what I see in Handshake. Um, you know, whereas Bitcoin's goal at the beginning in those early days was to have a free money, Handshake's goal is to have a free decentralized web. Um, and just kind of give an explanation of what Handshake is. It's a narrow purpose blockchain that focuses on DNS. So similar to like how Namecoin was. Um, and then also Handshake is the foundation for a decentralized web. And I, I really believe that Handshake is a cypherpunk stream of what the web should be. So what is Handshake exactly? Uh, Handshake decentralized something called the DNS root zone of the web. So that's currently uh, controlled by a centralized entity called ICANN. And yeah, I've, heard, I've heard of ICANN and I've heard of DNSs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So Handshake is the decentralized version for ICANN. And so ICANN controls the DNS root zone file, uh, basically in a basement in Los Angeles, California. And that's basically the very foundation of the web. And so it's a huge central point of failure that if something were to go wrong can bring down the entire internet that we use today. And so what Handshake does is it puts that root zone file on a blockchain. And then also the second thing is we're able to have uh, secure websites on hand using Handshake names like .free Talk Live, um, you know, by having by utilizing something cool called Dane, and that's a, a way that you can be able to issue self certificates in a secure and trustless manner. So those are kind of like two innovations that we are uh, really removing these centralized entities, you know, ICANN and certificate authorities. And now something else that's really cool, ICANN is also known as the gatekeeper of domains. So there's an artificial limit to what kind of names can exist today. And Handshake ends that artificial limit to what names can exist. So now for the first time, you can truly own your first name on the internet, like .mark, for example. Uh, you can also own your favorite word, like .libertarian, and then even your uh, very own business like dot free talk live. And as these handshake names are programmable, uh, this really opens it up for creativity and entrepreneurship. Does, uh, that, ex does that explain what handshake is? Oh, <laughs> or did bit? you follow any of that? I, I, I think I've got some of it, um, but mm -hmm. I'm not saying I've got uh, the whole thing. It sounds. Uh, yeah, so basically the idea is you take the centralized domain name service and you put it on a blockchain, so it's no longer in the hands of this behemoth known as ICANN. Right, that's scary. Which, of course, is based in the United States, and so the U.S. government can just go to them and say, oh, we'll take freetalklive.com, thank you very much, and then yep. you don't have your website anymore, right? right? Exactly, and that's happened time and time again which, over the past few decades. I yeah. like the idea of the United States having control of uh, websites more than I say, like, communist China having them, but... Um, you know, not much more. It's it's really not a win-win, is it? No, <laughs> you, no, they've taken down the plenty United of uh, websites. Yeah. I was told the internet was going to be free, so I'm here for the freedom. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. And the you know the creation of the web, it really was supposed to be a decentralized web where no there was no kind of like control and all these behemoths in place. But as we moved into more. Uh, you know, in the 2000s and everything, that's really where we saw these centralized entities uh, start to sprout up, including, you know, what people call big tech companies, too, which have a lot of control. And so Handshake helps with that 
as well. Why but, um, is uh, is handshake, in your opinion, better than the other decentralized uh, alternatives out there? I know there's uh, yeah. the Namecoin, there's uh, Unstoppable Domains. What's Handshake got that they don't? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, Namecoin was the first altcoin uh, created back in like 2010. Uh, so a really cool fact, if you go look at Bitcoin Talk, uh, Satoshi's uh, second suggested use case for blockchain was decentralized DNS. He, they called him and mm-hmm. Gavin called it Bit DNS back then, and that ended up spinning off into Namecoin. Now, Namecoin is really cool, um, and that was the first kind of like um, you know I would say that was the first time that something called Zuko's Triangle was solved. Uh, that was um, put. I've been wondering the- about that Zuko's Triangle for some time. <laughs> have Have you? Is the cryptographer <laughs> Zuko? You know, he, the founder of Zcash, but in the early two thousands, um, he stated that there was an issue for digital identifiers, and that you can only have two out of these three. And the first one was to have like a human friendly digital identifier. The second one was to have uh, it be decentralized. And the third was to be secure. So Namecoin was really the first time that I've seen actually solved Zuko's triangle. So uh, Namecoin did a a great, a great deal, um, you know, to have kind of like decentralized naming. However, there were a few issues with Namecoin. I can gloss over them. Uh, The first one was is probably way too ahead of its time, you know, being created back in 2010. Uh, The second thing was they released they have the, I guess they created the first NFT, right? Dot bit domains. Right. And they basically just released all these dot bit domains um, to anybody. So what ended up happening was you had a lot of uh, squatters. So people just snatched up all the names, but didn't actually do anything with it. And so I saw a stat. I suspect um, we did that. like five five years later so like in 2015 i saw a stat where there were like 225,000 dot bit domains registered but there are only a few dozen websites actually set up with the domain so yeah um basically it never really took off due to that um now something with unstoppable domains unstoppable domains is basically you know they're using smart contracts so they use polygon and it's on uh ethereum uh but Unstoppable Domains is basically a corporation. So mm. they they just create these, you know, top level domains and they're selling it to you and then they get the proceeds and they're mm. doing a whole bunch of marketing and they're VC backed. And so that that's good. And so they have these web three use cases of having a universal username that they really like to hone in on the wallet name address. And so those are really fun. However, uh, with all these other alternatives with .eth and these Unstoppable Domains, they don't have a root zone. So in essence, they're kind of just all surface level because with the root zone, Handshake's only one that has an alternative root zone. So that means it, at the very core, it's decentralized and it truly is censorship resistant compared to with Unstoppable Domains and .eth, you know, they can be taken away. They can be seized. There are hmm. central points of Unstoppable failure. Domains is stoppable? <laughs> Contrary to belief, I am sick is. and tired of the lies that I get on the internet. <laughs> what, first That's thing I, fa- I found out is there no, aren't actually singles in my neighborhood that wanted to meet me, and now this. <laughs> That's that's why uh, you know DYOR right with with anything <laughs> in, in real life yeah, and online you can't just listen to an ad. You so know, you're saying unstoppable uh, unstoppable domains is relying on the existing centralized. Uh, set up for TLDs and stuff? That's that's what they're banking on. And in fact, ICANN, 
Um, it's been like, I would believe almost a decade now since ICANN is considered releasing new top level domains. There are mm-hmm. currently 1500 ICANN top level domains, uh, but there's this opening period that's probably going to be coming up here within the next year or so. And that's what Unstoppable Domains is banking on is to snatch up like dot blockchain dot NFT on the current system. So mm. <laughs> in a, in an essence, they're just going to be, they just want to be part of what we already have the existing web. And so Handshake does all those web three use cases, right? That it can do all of those things along with having dynamic websites with which currently with .eth and Unstoppable Domains, I've played around with it a little bit, but you can only set up static websites. Very simple. And so Handshake is really cool in that it, you know, doesn't really change DNS too much. It's DNS that we know and use today because DNS in essence, besides the root zone, is mostly decentralized. So with, you know, Handshake name like um, you know, .tx, for example, I can set up a website with WordPress, whatever website builder that you're accustomed with. But I want to hone in on the point that Handshake's goal is to become the uh, you know foundation for the web that we all use today. And none of these other naming services try to do that or go for that. And don't even have the capability, if that opportunity were to be laid at their doorstep, don't have the, the, the tech or the ability to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the cool thing is, you know, Handshake is a universal naming protocol. So, um, you know, it's it's really out there for Unstoppable Domains and .eth and all these other ones to adopt Handshake's root. And so something that's really cool and one of the many reasons why I love Handshake was it was meant for adoption in that it reserved the top 100,000 traditional websites in Handshake's uh, blockchain to be claimed on Handshake, as well as it did reserve the uh, traditional ICANN uh, top-level domains like .com, .org, .io on Handshake as well to be claimed. And so upon the launch of Handshake's blockchain, which it is a proof-of-work blockchain, uh, similar to you know similar to Bitcoin, and it reserved .eth for the Ethereum naming service, so ENS, mm. the foundation. So uh, they already claimed .eth on Handshake as well. I haven't really seen them do anything with it, but at least they do have .eth on Handshake. So in essence, with these smart contract naming um, options out there, they can still end up using Handshake's uh, root zone now, as what is, kind of like their anchor. What is uh, name base in relation to Handshake? Is that like the people that started this or is that just a corporation that is uh, promoting it for their own purposes? Because you you said, I think it was off the air, that Namecheap recently purchased Namebase. And Namecheap, for the yeah. listeners that don't know, is probably one of the more popular uh, websites through which one can register a domain name. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, Namecheap is the second largest domain registrar in the world after GoDaddy, and they are going all in on Handshake. I, nice. I keep I see the Namecheap CEO Richard Kirkendall. He was the founder and CEO of Namecheap, so he's been there since the beginning. You know, I believe Namecheap. And they've t- they've accepted Bitcoin at Namecheap for many many years, so that doesn't surprise me that they would take an interest exactly. in this exactly and they they're they're pro freedom for sure yeah, yeah i believe they started accepting a bitcoin back in i mean you can correct me but like 2013 2014 somewhere around then i still um, maintain yeah. some hope that uh that liberty lives on the internet um i'm glad to hear this yes that that's what we're going for and that's really what they want to too they want to create the separate uh you know system the separate framework from ICANN because they see how tyrannical uh, you know ICANN can be, how much corruption there are and back deals going on, but how to go your ba- domain can just be seized. 
to, well, to go back to the question, though, is name, what's the relation of namebase.io yeah. to the Handshake protocol? Yeah, yeah. So Namebase, um, you know, is probably the most popular uh, business built onto Handshake, right? Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like the Coinbase and GoDaddy uh, for Handshake names, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But they they were not involved with the founding or creation of the Handshake protocol itself. And so that was Namebase is what was purchased, uh, you know, by Namecheap here earlier this year. But Namebase is a really good way to, I guess, get started you know, be able to purchase HNS the coin. There are two assets on Handshake, HNS the coin, which is basically the fuel of the decentralized web. And that allows you to open up auctions and buy Handshake names, which are these NFT domains, blockchain domains. And that's the second asset on Handshake. And so they really focus on the Handshake top level domains. Let's and, get into that auction that you mentioned. As I understand it, yeah. this is a very different way to purchase a domain name. Normally, you go to your registrar and you say, I want to get markedgeradio.com. And then you pay 12 bucks or whatever the current price is for a .com. They put in the registry with, uh, with ICANN and then within a matter of minutes or hours, it's there and you can put a website up on it. This is different, right? You're actually, you go, you make a request. You have to have a wallet, I guess, to do, to do this, which of course I can't do right now due to my bail conditions. But, uh, you, you have to have a wallet to put in, uh, the request. And then there's a period of days where the, it's up for bid. Basically, it goes into a public auction. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, you got that. And yeah, just to be clear, Handshake has a lot of flexibility. So if you want to have a top level domain, on Handshake, which is basically on Handshake's blockchain itself, it does have this auction process. So, as an mm -hmm. example, and this is one of the th one of the ways that um, you know they built on and solved some of Namecoin's issues. So, when Handshake launched in February 2020, there's a year long process where every single possible name combination, a string of letters and numbers, became available over a year period. And so, in January of 2021, um, this blockchain domain called .tx, uh, which my company, HeyTX, is the custodian of, became available. Mm -hmm. It wasn't available at the beginning. You couldn't have just bid on it and uh, purchase it right when Handshake launched. It became available in January 2021. Mm -hmm. And just because I wanted it doesn't mean that I was going to get it. Uh, somebody had to open up an auction and there was this five-day period, as, I, as Ian just mentioned, where anyone around the world, part of the Handshake community, can interact with Handshake's blockchain and place a bid. Hmm. And these, bid, uh, these bids have um, something known as like a blind. So that way your bid is kind of masked and no one knows what you're truly bidding. But after that five-day period, then there's a 10-day period where you have to reveal what your true bid is. And so you have to reveal your true bid within that 10-day period. And then whoever had the highest bid after that period then became the owner and paid the second highest bid's price. It's known as a Vickery auction. So mm -hmm. I had the highest bid and then I paid the second highest bid's price. But instead of instead of going to a you know the handshake company or foundation um, like Unstoppable Domains or Dot ETH, you know, used to go to the you know their their foundation. Now it goes to a DAO. Um, the second highest bid where that HNS went uh, was that it was burned from the coin supply. So it's a def deflationary. Huh. Um, so, I mean, I'm just curious, 
anybody that knows anything about domain names knows that a two-letter or a three-letter domain name is highly desirable and usually would go for quite a bit of money. If you were to try to buy .tx uh, or tx.com, right, from whoever owns that, it would yeah. probably cost you, you know, a million dollars or something. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure we could go look it up, but what was it that you ended up paying for uh, for .tx and, and how many bids were there for it? Yeah, yeah, you can look at it on Handshake's blockchain or go on Namebase, but uh, I believe I paid around 70,000 HNS, which at the time may have been in the five-figure USD range. Okay. Um, wow. And that that was one of the I believe that was probably in the top 25 of like highest, highest paid, bidding. right? Okay. Yeah, high, for all the names and there are currently uh, here in June 2022 there are more than 5 million Handshake names that exist right now. Mhm. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, compared to TX.com, which would easily be in the seven figure range. And then if you were to be able to get this, you know, top level domain, like a generic word, and you have to go through this extensive application process with ICANN, you have to pay them a couple hundred thousand dollars just to apply. Wow. And then and then the government ends up take being, it from you. <laughs> exa- exactly. And it ends up being ends up costing well over seven figures wow. at the end of the day. So, so now you yeah, own tx as a top level domain meaning that you could sell subdomains so if you wanted to sell mm-hmm. it to the city of dallas you could sell dallas.tx right to mm-hmm. uh to them exactly and that's that's really what i'm doing of course .tx stands for a lot of things uh to transaction. me I mean, transaction it's, it's, First transactions is a really good one especially for the tech people especially you know for block explorers and exchanges so it does have that i also want .tx just to stand for freedom because mm-hmm. in essence i really do believe that handshake is helping ensure freedom online it's a long journey because texans because texans mean tx stands for freedom <laughs> exactly exactly that's what we whenever we see tx we think freedom but then yeah i am establishing .tx as the domain for texas Mm -hmm. and uh, in essence i really do see a future where all uh, texas businesses will be able to have their own dot tx domain just so they can be able to showcase their origin and this really creates a brand for texas online and putting politics aside you know all the politicians and everything what we have you know with not tx is those that care about freedom those that you know, respect one another, really just following, you know, non-aggression principle, voluntarism, and uh, just having this, you know, rugged individualism within a strong supportive community. That's what I want .tx to mean and stand for. But you're absolutely right. Uh, .tx is currently listed on a few uh, domain registrars. And, you know, I am excited uh, to share that .tx is going to be listed on Namecheap, uh, most likely by the end of uh, June. Uh, 2022. So uh, keep a lookout for that. It'll be listed right next to .com and .io and all these other ones. And as I said, you know, Namecheap is diving all in on Handshake and they're going to be showcasing these Handshake domains more prominently in the future. The the downside to this, which has always been the downside, is that your average web browser is not equipped to visit these domains. Uh, When you Mm -hmm. type in an address into your web browser's uh, URL input, it's going and it's searching the traditional domain name uh, register, the service, and it's yeah. looking for something that doesn't exist there. And so mm-hmm. you need to have some sort of an extension or alternative browser in order to get to these things. So in order for people to actually use these domains, they have to be aware 
that they need something additional. They have the user has to take additional steps. Um, the namebase.io website does have a, a good information about this. It shows a list of various different uh, tools that one could use, and some of these tools are better than others as far as actually accessing these websites. I was doing some experimenting with these, and there was a, a couple of them I just couldn't get to work at all. And I'm, you know, by no means a an average user. I'm fairly advanced as far as these things are concerned. So there's definitely some mm-hmm. serious issues with some of these. Um, but the one that I was able to get to work was actually one of the better ones, which is the Beacon web browser. So mm-hmm. the extension, I think I tried the Bob extension or HDNS. I think I tried both HDNS and the Bob extension. I had issues with uh, with both of those. Mm-hmm. But um, th- and and for listeners that are not familiar with any of these, there's different things like there's different uh, aspects to these. So the extensions I'm talking about, they rely on essentially a third party in order to provide to you these websites. So there's sort of like a man in the middle, and that could be very dangerous from a security aspect. So honestly, you don't even want to use those. I was just trying to see if they were worth using or easy. Uh, But the Mm -hmm. Beacon web browser purportedly doesn't have that issue, unless, of course, you still have to trust its code. But but you install this web browser, and you can just go to these handshake domains with no issue whatsoever. Is that what you recommend to people, or do you have a a personal favorite? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Um, being able to access names, I would say, is one of the you know biggest obstacles to adoption for Handshake. Yeah. But uh, sh- shout out to Beacon Browser and the Impervious crew. So if you go to impervious.com, you can be able to download Beacon Browser. They have a desktop browser as well as an app on iOS devices. But I do highly recommend Beacon um, because they are, it is the most secure way to access Handshake websites. And what I was talking about earlier with having secure Handshake websites, it's something called uh, DANE, which it stands for uh, DNS-based authentication of named entities. It was invented prior to Handshake, but Handshake utilizes it to secure uh, Handshake's websites in a trustless manner. And uh, Beacon Browser has that in there. So you can actually be able to access um, you know, Handshake websites with, uh, in other words, like AT- HTTPS. That's how you know you're visiting mm-hmm. a secure website. So yeah, I highly recommend uh, Beacon. Uh, the Impervious crew, they do a lot of open source development for like Bitcoin and Handshake. And um, But yeah, I agree that there, it needs, there needs to be a seamless way to access names, right? We can't, uh, you know, I really believe that Handshake is going to be able to bring the decentralized web to the masses, reach the mainstream. It's yeah. not going to happen overnight. No, nope. but um, this could I, be the my, one. I think uh, you know, for, as you pointed out, the technology yeah. seems to be the best that we've seen. Uh, you've got the root level domains that that people can get now for the the first time. It's just the getting over that hump of getting mm-hmm. major web browsers to implement yes. this. That's ultimately what the the real key would be. To is there anything that this. listeners can do? Um, yeah, I mean, really just be part of the Handshake community. I, I don't know if I made it clear that there is no company or foundation behind Handshake. It's proof of work and is entirely community led. The Handshake marketing department didn't pay for me to come on here. I'm just doing it of my own volition just <laughs> because I care about Handshake so much. Um, but some, some things that I've done as a director of Handshake, which anyone that's part of the Handshake community is a director. Uh, some <laughs> of the things I've done this year is I partnered with the Aloha browser, which is, um, has an, a very private and uh, secure browsing experience on Android and iOS devices. And they have 30 million users. And I partnered with them to, to resolve Handshake's uh, you know, websites natively. 
And uh, so that that is one example. I've also spoken with uh, the Mozilla Foundation about having Firefox resolve Handshake and then the early stages of that. And then also here in the coming weeks here in June, it is official that Opera um, browser is going to resolve Handshake names. Really? Too. So, so keep a lookout for that. All right. Yeah, Jeez. it's a pretty big deal. That is a big deal. Um, I've got a technical question out into the weeds a little bit, and since we're a good 15 or 26 minutes into this interview at this point, I'll go ahead and ask it. So when I was talking with my uh, administrator of the Free Talk Live website regarding the Free Talk Live domain that you gifted to us, uh, he said he couldn't do anything with it because, quote, they're not supported by – handshake domains are not supported by Let's Encrypt or any other SSL certificate issuer. And mm-hmm. today you brought up this Dane uh, feature. Is it that – do you think that my guy, he doesn't know anything about Dane? Is Dane the replacement for Let's Encrypt or other SSL certificates? Or how does that all work together? What can I tell my administrator that – like? What is he wrong about, if anything, here? <laughs> no, I mean, he, he is correct. It's um, probably not compatible with Let's Encrypt just yet, right? They don't offer uh, support for, like, Dane uh, to be able to have that uh, work out with, like, your handshake names. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say that instead of SSL, currently, you know, SSL is automatically issued for traditional domains, and that's what, you know, gives us the HTTPS, right? Yeah. But that doesn't work with Handshake. You know, you can send a signal to the Handshake name, you know, when you're building a website or trying to implement this and Handshake doesn't communicate that language, right? And so instead of using these centralized certificate authorities, which is basically what provides security for all of our websites, right. we do use something that um, allows us to be able to have these self-certificates issued known as Dane. So I just uh, so does that mean just, that. Just to clarify, yeah. does that mean that Free Talk Live com would need to get one of these Dane certificates instead of using the centralized uh, services, or is it an either or, or can we do both? I'm not real clear on what that that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dane could could work with um, you know the traditional domains, I would say, but it really I would focus on if you're wanting to enhance security on uh, freetalklive.com, I would look into something like DNSSEC because that's uh, basically what Dane uh, uses in in part as well. But just to give handshake names security, we utilize Dane, you know, for the certificate aspect. So I would say it's more of a handshake name thing, even though it's not necessarily native to handshake. So am I able to tell my administrator that he can do something he thinks he can't do here and he just needs to look into Dane? Maybe he doesn't even know that exists. I'm... Yeah, this is getting yeah. out of my uh, area of expertise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I would just suggest for him to look in today, and I can. Okay. I'd be happy to put him in contact with you know more of the technical uh, crew, like the handshake developers and everything, okay. if he has any questions about doing it. But I would say that it is really important if you're wanting to have something of ap- actual substance, because you have to have a secure website, otherwise. Yeah, you got to. You know, you, you, you can have it still taken down, or you can have those man in the middle attacks and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, if you're wanting to build something, you know, really valuable or important that you care about, which that's what we want to do with handshake names, then you need to have uh, Dane enabled. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I'll talk to him about it, and uh, maybe I'll get him in touch with you if, if he's got some questions, if that's all right. Yeah, definitely. And what would you like people to be in touch with you about, and how would you like them to get in touch with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we as we are a decentralized community, we're scattered all over the all over the web. But, um, you know, I, my, my company, you can find our main website at heytx.io. 
And those are some, I have some pretty good resources, uh, you know, about Handshake, learning more about Handshake. You can also check out Handshake.org. That's hay as in hello as opposed to hay as in horse feed, right? Hey, TX. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And you can check out Handshake.org if you want to look into kind of like the premise and the white paper behind Handshake. Um I haven't mentioned, but uh, Andrew Lee and the Purse.io crew, who mm. I remember were sponsors of Free Talk Live for many years, yeah. they, they're the ones that helped create Handshake. Those, oh, wow, cool. Those are par- partially, the respo- um, partially those who founded it. And so in an indirect way, the Free Talk Live community here is uh, you know, responsible for the creation of Handshake. <laughs> we love that. I love that. Take that, feds. (laughs) (laughs) Scroll it on your prison wall, pal. (laughs) Exactly. But for all those that love freedom, you know, while Handshake could always use more open source developers, whether interested in business or investments, there are so many opportunities. You know, and for Handshake, we're still and, you know, we've only been around for two years. So we're really in the innovator stage right now, Mm. uh, similar to how Bitcoin was in those early days. And that's Mm. why it's really important for freedom minded people, for libertarians to get involved, to ensure that humanity truly has a free web. Awesome. Uh, I'm out of questions. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Mark.